And welcome to episode 11 of Chin Music, a podcast presented by Bancraft. My name is Kevin Goldstein. I'm in DeKalb, Illinois, the revolving co-host chair. Once again goes to New York. It's where we get our co-hosts from, folks. And joining me is the senior writer for Sports Illustrated, Stephanie Epstein. Stephanie, how are you? I'm doing great, thanks. Thanks for having I didn't, me. How are you? I didn't ask you before. I'm good. I didn't ask you beforehand, and I think you will appreciate this question or I'm certainly in a position to appreciate this question because I get it all the time. Is it Steen or Stein? Uh, it is Steen. Good, I got I it right. Actually, okay, I actually, uh, the first time I talked to Theo Epstein, I grew up in Boston, and the first time I talked to Theo, Theo Epstein, I thanked him because once the Red Sox won the World Series, people started pronouncing my name closer to correctly. <laughs> exactly. The AE thing still threw them, but at least it was Steen instead of Stein. That was exactly. new after 2004. Yeah, no, I get the question all the time, and I realize I didn't yeah. really answer that. Um Obviously, if you're a listener to the podcast, you realize we're we're here a day early. There's a reason for that, uh, which is about uh, two hours ago, I got my second shot of Moderna. So I have the Bill Gates microchip in my veins. And um, that's probably why our connection is so good. Exactly. And and I just uh, wanted to make sure. I have no idea if I'm going to feel good or bad tomorrow. Um, so we wanted to record today and get it out. And that's why we were doing this. And I am excited for two weeks from now. When I can take my wife to TJ Maxx. <laughs> well, congratulations. Do you were you emotional? Um, I feel like I was more emotional for the first shot just because I yeah, knew it was too. happening. Um, you know, I think my wife and I had this conversation somewhere like around New Year's, um, knowing what we knew about the vaccines at that time, uh, and I, even obviously knowing that there was going to be a, a, an administrative change and everything at the top of the, at the top of the country. Um, I think my prediction was like we would both be good to go sometime towards the end of the summer. Yeah. And for, you know, be sitting here on April 28th knowing that I have two shots in me and I'm two weeks away from being relatively good to go um, is is one of the more pleasant shocks I I can think of. Yeah. Yesterday was two weeks for me and I I never I never thought we were going to be that like April 28th I was going to be allowed to go out and lick subway poles and. (laughs) <laughs> you know, attend coffin competitions or whatever it is we used to do. I barely even remember. Uh, so it's it's very exciting. Where, so you're you're two weeks out. Like where where are you at mentally? Like are you ready to uh, are you ready to eat indoors at a restaurant? I don't think I'm ready to do that. I'm definitely ready to eat outdoors at a restaurant. Uh, tonight will be my third straight night of doing that. I'm feeling nice. I'm very excited about that. Um, I don't I don't know. I think I. I don't think I'm ready to eat indoors. I would probably be more ready to spend time indoors than I was masked. It's the it's that everybody takes their mask off in the restaurant that I don't right. quite feel ready for. And it's, you know, it's April 28th. So it's like it's 75 in New York today. I wouldn't want to eat in a restaurant if we didn't have a pandemic right now. It's so beautiful out. So that doesn't feel like a huge sacrifice to me just yet. Uh, I'm definitely ready to have 
dinner with friends in my home. I am very, very excited about that, doing it Sunday. Uh, so I'm, I'm just hopeful and excited. Yeah, things to be. It's nice to see things kind of going in the right direction. The second, which which one did you get? I got Pfizer. Okay, so I got Moderna. The second shot hurt a lot more than the first. Yeah, I uh, I sort of felt that, and then I thought that I was making it up. So I have no idea. Like the first one, I didn't. It's the same thing. So I don't know why that would. Is be. it like the first one? I didn't feel at all. Like she actually said, "All done," and I was like, "Really? I didn't even know you put it in me." And this one, I I I felt this one, and my my Maybe wife had you the had same a experience this time. Ah, she was a yeah, she was a lovely she was a, a, a trained professional nurse. Well, then I don't know. Whatever. So, you, whatever. The outcome so, is good. Go get your shots, folks. Um, yes. So we're going to talk about baseball, obviously, because it's a baseball podcast. Our special guest this week will be Nick Groke from the Athletic, talking about. Uh, we've already recorded with Nick. We'll, we're always transparent here. Uh, the, the just the the weird world of the Colorado Rockies obviously had their their general manager Jeff Breidich uh, step down this week. Um, he was great and and frank yeah. and honest and uh, a lot of insight into a very confusing organization. It's a weird place, man. Um, and then we will uh, do the same usual stuff. Talk about our musical musical guest Mint Mile. We'll read your emails. We'll figure out what the hell's going on with Stephanie, which sounds like a lot. Uh, have our moment in culture, and then we'll be done. And it all—it's all a day early. You've, you've eight days to listen to the show instead of seven, so we're doing you a favor. Um, Stephanie, I, I, I want to start with like—it seems like you know we've had two of these series, and they've been kind of the focus on baseball, even though these games are happening. If you live where you live, or, or live with I live, these games are going to midnight or later. Um, but we had another Dodgers Padres series. We had another highly entertaining Dodgers Padres series. And and even though they have um, these kind of late night limitations for you know, over half of the country population wise, has this become the most compelling rivalry in baseball? Oh yeah, I mean, my, I Mike. Sorry to Mike Trout. Mike Trout can't get me to stay up to watch the end of one of his games. Shohei Otani can't do that. But man, these guys are worth sticking around. They, these games have been so good. Every single one of them has been wild, and. The players seem like they're taking it seriously. I actually just saw somebody tweeted, and I apologize to whoever it was because I don't remember who it was, but somebody tweeted that it seems like the players actually feel an emotional hangover because they're 1-8, these two teams, the day after uh, one of these series is over. Oh, wow. They're, that everybody just seems exhausted after these things, and I get it because they are, man, they're all, they all seem really into it, and that is something that we don't get that often, and I love the... I love the sort of languid nature of baseball and that we have 162 of these. And so every one, you know, matters a certain amount, but it's not make or break. And I, I like that about it. I like that you have to show up every day. But one thing that that does cost the fans is this sort of intense regular season that we see in sports like the NFL. And so it's very fun to get both out of, out of this season, I think, to have baseball is on every night and so you're able to settle into a rhythm of it and then also occasionally these two teams start playing and it's just must watch tv and that i think is really cool to have to have that balance and, and, and you know we it feels like we've seen i mean we've gone for uh, whatever a decade plus now of what feels like a a bi-weekly sunday night game between the red sox and the yankees that takes four and a half hours um how much does kind of just the simple time zone stuff hurt the the availability of this rivalry, if you will? And, and I, there's not really anything you can do about it. 
Yeah, I think it, I mean, I think it probably matters. I don't have the statistics, but it's, it's hard for me to stay up and watch a baseball game that starts at 10 p.m. Uh, local, uh, my time, and it's, and I'm an adult whose job it is to watch these games, so I would imagine there are not a lot of New York-based eight-year-olds who are catching most of this action. Um, right. I think it would be very cool if they had, like, if the Sunday game that, you know, I think they should probably be sort of flexing more of these games, especially the day games, to national broadcasts. I think that would be really cool. Um, but I also understand that they want the primetime uh, local event. I think, hopefully, there's also, yeah, it is half the country's uh, on the East Coast, or whatever is east of, of uh, in the Eastern time zone. But there are a lot of kids in Los Angeles who haven't been able to watch the Dodgers for for many years. And so mm-hmm. my hope is that they are able to invigorate fans on that side of the country as well, where the time the time zone is, is not an issue. And, you know, the Dodgers are in first place right now with the very surprising San Francisco Giants right with them. Um, Padres are just a game over 500. Despite those those facts, it, it, it feels to me like the Dodgers are the best team in baseball. Are the Padres a top two team in baseball right now? I think so. I mean, who who else would be, is the realistic candidate for number two? I think it's got to be those guys. They're so, even though the record doesn't necessarily reflect it, they're, they're so good. They're so much fun to watch. They feel, mm. they're deep. They, they feel like they can beat you in so many different ways. I, I don't know about, you know, they're certainly not top two in terms of record, but in terms of teams I would not want to face in the playoffs, it seems like it's Dodgers one and Padres two. And, and you know, one of the big stories to come out of this series uh, came toward the end where uh, Fernando Tatis, who hit, I don't really know, I think 23 home runs in the series. Um, <laughs> Something like that. Uh, Pete to catcher's met, and it turned into a thing. Um, he looked down at the signs. He then blasted a ball. Um, this just felt like the, the biggest mountain out of the smallest molehill. And, and oh, do totally. You, do but- you even care? Oh, of course not. But I love it. I think they should. <laughs> they should care. You they just want them fighting. Nonsense. Yeah, I want part. You know, we've had so much. We've had so many real problems recently. I mm. love every time we get to focus on some utter nonsense like this, like the three zero. You know, homering on a three zero pitch last year. Like, yes, you should. He should do it. And yes, the opponent should get mad at him for it. That's what we're doing here. When you know, when Max Muncy hits that ball, he should get to celebrate. And when. Bumgarner gives up the pitch. He should get to feel mad about it. That's terrific. They should. They should care. You know, I thought. I thought Tati celebrating against Bauer was hilarious with the covering his eye. This is supposed to be fun. So they're. I love when they have strong reactions, even to stuff, especially to stuff that's nonsense. I don't know. Does any of that bother you? <laughs> it doesn't bother me in the least. I think it's a lot of fun, and 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 you know, part of what makes a rivalry a rivalry, part of what makes the game good, is the fact that the teams. Um, even if it's a, in kind of a positive form, like have a little thing for the opponent. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. It's 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 much more fun that way than than when you know that secretly they're all like on group texts together and they're all going to go get dinner afterward. I like when they're a little they which little they do against each other. Yeah, um, you know it's, it's funny you bring this up. I'm, I'm you know this will be tangent one of I'm sure 372 that we go on during the show, but um, I watched a video last night. Uh, on MLB's YouTube channel, and it was of Mike Trout mic'd up, uh, mm-hmm. and he was mic'd up for a game in Houston against the okay. Astros. Okay, and I kind of was, I, I kind of was like, 
it's not my place to say everyone should watch this because I, you know, whatever I say is going to have a weird attachment to it. But like, it was interesting to watch it, and 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 I think it would be so other people watch it and realize that like, you know, Mike Trout gets the second base and he's talking to Carlos Correa about playing Call of Duty, <laughs> right? You know, and and he gets the first base and and he and Yuli are, are you know, he's doing his best to talk to Yuli a little bit in Spanish, mm-hmm. um, and and I, I know everyone hates and is mad at the Astros and for a good reason I get it but it's it's interesting like to know like Mike Trout's not running around hating all these players he's getting on second base and having a very cordial conversation with Carlos Correa a very friendly hey you're my buddy conversation sure and I think especially those guys that at that level of player have been on all-star teams together year after year they they are friendly a lot of them share agents and they work out together in the offseason I mean they are friendly but I also love Remember, I don't know, I don't know how closely people were paying attention to this, but CC Sabathia and Jackie Bradley Jr. had like the weirdest feud for years, and nobody mm-hmm. could figure out. CC would <laughs> never talk about it. CC hated him, and he people would ask him, and he would never explain what he hated about him. And finally, on his podcast a year or two ago, he admitted that he just made it up. He wanted someone <laughs> to be mad at on that team, and he felt like Jackie could handle it, and so he just decided to hate him. And Jackie never knew why. He was like, I've, I've never spoken to this man. What is his problem with me? But they 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 had this one. It was terrific. That's the kind of stuff we're looking for. This is a game. Right. You need, these are human beings, and it's, it's yeah. part of the drama of the game. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we talked a little bit about, you know, who the best two teams in baseball are right now. Do you know who's the best record in baseball right now? I, if it's the same as it was yesterday. It is. I think that, yeah, I... Uh, I, I wrote uh, on Monday night that Matt Harvey is shoving and the Royals have the best record in baseball. It's time to uh, it's time to listen to Uptown Funk and decide whether that dress is blue and white or blue, whatever it was, blue and black or white and gold. What year is it? And do you know who has the worst record in baseball right now? Uh, I don't, actually. Who is it's it? It's the Minnesota Twins. Wow. We are the, all so stupid. What the hell is going on in the American League Central? I don't know, but I'm into this too. What's, and what's really fun is that it it seems unlikely that this will hold up, but they've banked those wins and those losses. So these teams, like the Royals have put themselves in dramatically better playoff position if only because they've won these extra games. Then they, they can't unwin them now. They have them. And the so Royals they really are, are, they really have a chance. Yeah, the Royals are doing it in um in weird fashion. Um, <laughs> you know, they're they're... It's not like they've had any sort of uh, gigantic offensive breakouts. None of their regulars are, are slugging over 500. Um, right. You know, Danny Duffy's pitched very, very well. Brady Singer's been surprisingly good. Um, the rest of the rotation's been okay. The bullpen's been good. Like, they've just been kind of good, and here we are, right. and then they are 14. It doesn't feel real, but it feels like the Royals are at least kind of taking a step forward. I mean, I don't know where you stand on this, but I love that. I hope that the Royals succeed. They seem like a team that really, that really. I mean, they paid all their minor leaguers last year. They didn't cut even the the sort of roster filler guys. They. It seems like they make an effort to do the right thing as much as mm-hmm. possible. And again, mm-hmm. these are you know these are corporations owned by billionaires, so I'm sure there are some there's some like sweatshop behavior or whatever that we're not aware of. But in general, it seems like. This isn't a franchise that tries to, whatever it believes is the right thing. It tries to do that, and so yeah, I, I think they, they take care of their people. They, I think they're generally seen as player friendly. 
Yeah, I mean, even, like, the fact that they're good this year or that they're doing well is really only because they continue to try to sign guys and, you know, they sign Sal Perez. Like, they, they, there are a lot of chances for them to tear things down, and they just won't do it because right. they believe that they should make a good-faith effort every year. And, this, you know, what happens when you make a good-faith effort is that occasionally things go well. And, and that's what's doing so far. And, and obviously like, the Twins had a had a COVID hit. Um, they yes. lost some players and, and, and that's its own story. Um, at the same time, you know, if you're not named Byron Buxton or Nelson Cruz, you're not hitting right now. Donaldson's been yeah. okay, but you know, obviously right. lost, you know, He's missed some time. Smart. Yeah. Buxton is an injury risk and it doesn't really seem like they're pitching terribly well. No, they're not. And, and, and Jay Happ's been great. Michael Pineda has been pretty good. Barrios has been either spectacular or okay. He's kind of a weird one. <laughs> right. Um, and then, but you know, Maeda, who looked amazing this spring, has been um, horrible. Yeah, uh, there's no what? other way to put it. You know, he, he's giving up, he's giving up 36 hits in 23 innings. He's been bad, bad, bad. Alice Colome, the free agent reliever, has been right. bad, bad, bad. Um, and they're better than 715. But like you said, I mean, this has happened. Like, you know, they're 22 right. games in, and this has happened. They're 7 and 15. Um, it's not going to take probably a ton of wins to win the American League Central, but they've certainly dug themselves a hell of a hole here. Yeah. Does, does this, does this surprise you as much as it surprises me? Um, I did. I mean, I thought though they, I thought, I thought the division would be them and the White Sox. And I right. think if you're the White Sox right now, um, you know, even though you're in second place and looking up at the, at the, at the Royals, I think you have to feel pretty good about your situation overall Sure. where you wake up and you go, you know, all we got to do is outplay the, the Royals by two games this year and right. rest of the year. And I think we're okay. Cause they already, have, you know, like you said, they've already banked five against the twins and a five game leads a lot. Like even in yeah. May, five games, a lot to make up. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, um, it's a surprising season so far. Yeah, it's been a it's been a weird one. And like, you know, obviously the Red Sox are a surprise and no one's surprised that, you know, Oakland's always good. Yeah, um, they find a way. Yeah, the Dodgers in first place, the Brewers are in first place, and you know, that division was anyone, so if it's the Brewers, you go whatever. Um right. the East is weird. The the National League East yeah. is weird with the five hundred Mets in first place. Yeah, I'm not sure what's going on there. With Francisco <laughs> Lindor getting booed. It's a Yeah. It's just that that's probably not the uh, the April twenty seventh or whatever he envisioned having on this team. And he's just hitting everything on the ground right now. Yeah. Um, there's been a lot of uh, really just in the past three or four days, a lot of kind of um, wailing and gnashing of teeth over the fact that we are currently in a position where uh, batting average is at an all time low, mm-hmm. um, which reinvigorates the the frequent i don't know arguments slash complaints about uh the current state of the game if you will look in terms of of you know almost the aesthetics of baseball at this point and how it's such a pure power game both on the mound and at the plate um and hitters are and you know hitters are hunting for for bombs and 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 not being ashamed to strike out um and every pitcher is hunting for strikeouts um is this a problem or no? I think it's a problem. I think, at least for me personally, it's a problem. Uh, I I would definitely rather see... The, the style of play I like the most is when guys are putting the ball in play and uh, when things are happening. I think that's... It's it's, it's sort of the, uh, the like micro equivalent of what I was saying about the Royals, that you know when you put a good faith effort out there, 
sometimes things will happen and your team will actually be good. Like when you put the ball in play, sometimes things happen. Uh, and, uh, it, you know, sometimes you can force an error or whatever. You can, you can really have an impact. And so I think it's aesthetically much less pleasing. Uh, what's, what's your take? I, I think it's aesthetically less pleasing, but I don't know what you do about it, I guess is how I put it. Like, I don't, I don't have a solution that I like is my, is my, is, is my, how I feel about it is almost secondary to the fact that I don't, sure. whatever your solution is, I like that even less. Yeah. My solution for the past few years has been, and you'll have to tell me as a person who's actually been involved in the sport, whether I'm insane, what if you capped the number of pitchers on the roster and like capped it low? What if you cap it at 11? Yeah, my cons- my concern there is is health injury. Yeah, is 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 pitcher health. I had someone say, once recommended me like they should force like a pitcher has to throw at least five innings a starter. Yeah, like it's the same hard. problem. Like and it's right. it's it's the same reason. Like I'm, yeah, I don't. I certainly don't think I overly romanticize baseball in the sense that I'm fine with rule changes. Like it's reason I actually kind of like the extra inning rule. Um, in the sense that I think you know I've seen like a, a sixteen inning game. Like that's fine that you have that, but the, I, the 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 thing that bothers me about a sixteen inning game is win or lose, like it it adversely affects you in a huge way for a week. Yeah, you know, in terms of of, of you know where your bullpen's at, everyone's shot, and and so I, I I'm I think the rule is good in that way, and 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 it shouldn't you know one game should not adversely affect your next four just because it went really long. Um, yeah, I get that. I like sixteen inning games, though. I think they're, they're a so blast. Fun. Yeah, they're they're absolutely. I love them, but I just, I maybe it's from being being you know seeing it yeah. up close. Like it just it, it destroys you for yeah, uh, until the I next. Get that. Yeah, if you did you play you know sixteen innings on Saturday, your bullpen's a mess until your next weekend series. Yeah, but like that happened because you guys didn't score a run. But should you pay the price for the next four games for your for your failures in one game? I don't know. You do if a if if a guy gets uh, tattooed or whatever and feels bad about it, you pay your price down the road for that. Right. I don't know. And, and, it, and it's the same point. If like you're, you know, if if you're the starter, you expect to get six from only gets four outs. It can do the same thing. Sure. Right. Um, I don't know. I just I what I actually wish they would do is do the extra inning thing. If we have to have the runner on second, I wish they would do that through twelve, and then they would take it off and say like, all right, if you haven't been able to score by now, then Good luck to you. We're going. Back I haven't heard to, that one. That's a regular baseball. Have, have we have we had a single game that has gotten through twelve without runs being scored in the ninth, tenth, or the tenth, eleventh? That's a good question. I don't think I. I it's hard. That would be hard. Happened. Yeah. Um, speaking of rule changes, um, the Pioneer League, which is a partner yeah. league of Major League Baseball this year, uh, announced that they're going to solve their ties with a home run derby, and. Uh, going back to my um, vitriol against people who over romanticize the game, a huge select, you know, a huge portion of baseball Twitter lost their damn minds over this. Sure. Um, I think it's fun. I don't care. And I also know, like, this is not something Major League Baseball is ever going to do. Right. It's an independent league. Sure. No one, no one, no one cares about the results. And they did and that, also that, say that they're doing it for the reasons you laid out, that they they don't want, they basically can't afford for a bunch of players to get hurt. Right. And it's, you know, at the same time, like, it's an independent league. They're in the entertainment business. Right. Honestly, the game results don't matter. It's, it's kind of like minor league baseball and the, 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 the win-loss in the standings really don't matter. 
Um, so at times in the minors, you're not even necessarily trying to win. You're, you're, you know, you're trying to develop players and, um, they're here to entertain people and no one's going to remember. No, there's no one in the world except maybe the president of the Pioneer League who can tell me who the last three Pioneer League champions are. Well, that's what I was going to say is that all these people who are on Twitter complaining about it, how many Pioneer League games have you attended how, how many, many pioneer, pioneer, games how many pioneer league teams can you name right I, until you I, i'm not really interested in hearing from someone who's not a fan of the you know you're just sort of signaling your your opinion for that you don't have an actual stake in it i do wonder though what's the problem with ties why can't we just end the game if you can't ties if you're suck. not willing to keep playing yeah but as you said who cares like who cares about the result of i don't know isn't that safer you could still get hurt playing home run derby I guess, it, like I said, it's like pure entertainment. Like it's a, it's a minor league baseball is a family entertainment business. You take yeah, the kids, that's true. you stick around, and the game was over. And then they tried to hit home runs. We had a blast. Right, that's true. You know, uh, did you see Francona had a good line about that? I, I didn't. Uh, he said something like, maybe I'll try to actually pull this up, but he said something like, "You'd hate to uh, to lose one of those games and then have to fire your third base coach because he can't throw a good BP." I tweeted that yesterday. Like, like the if you're if if you can throw a really because. Finding someone who can throw a really good BP is hard. Yeah. Like, it's a real challenge. I actually once saw an ex-big leaguer who was a coach get the yips in a BP session. It was terrifying. Oh, jeez. Um, but finding a guy who can, like, you know, deliver a good BP, those guys are worth their weight in gold in, in, in the yeah. world of baseball. And um, But yeah, I think that's going to be, like, a real job now. we got to find, like, people are going to say, oh, who, who you know, it's not only who are you going to line up for your for the extra innings for the, to, to hit. Right. It's like, who are you going to have to throw to them? Well, the um, reporters were asking Davey Martinez yesterday if he would just throw, if he would just send Juan Soto out there every time. And he said, actually, no, because it's got to be the guy who hits the best, who hits the most home runs in BP, not who hits the most, like, towering real fastballs. So he said the, the world leader in that would be Ichiro. It, it, yeah, it's funny because Alex Cora was asked that this morning, I saw, okay. and, and, and he said his guy would be Kike Hernandez. Oh, I believe that. Because Kike hits the most home runs in BP for him. Right. I don't um, know if I have an answer there. Do you have an answer of who your who your BP All Star would be? Chris Carter. Oh, if I could bring uh, if I could bring That's Chris Carter back as the biggest Chris Carter fan of the world. If I could bring yeah. like no nobody like he would like I God knows you've seen plenty of batting practice in your time. Sure. Um, and you see like first round they just kind of stand there and swing the ball a few times mm-hmm. and just kind of get timing down. Second round. Third round, they're usually trying to hit it. And fourth round, they tend to let it fly. That's your standard BP. Right. Not everyone does. That's your standard. Like Chris Carter, first round is hitting, hitting <laughs> them. Hitting that. Is like is hitting the scoreboard. Amazing. Um, yeah, that's a good. Yeah. That's a really good choice. And so, yeah, Chris Carter would be my... If, if I was a Pioneer League team right now, I'd be calling... I, yeah, I well, you Chris, can... And you Chris could played in Mexico. Him. Yeah. You could roster him. He wouldn't even have to play the game. You'd just have him sitting on the bench waiting in case... In case you're in this situation. Right. I'm not sure what the rules are as far as like who needs to, who gets yeah. to participate. But if they're on the roster, you should just like, just go grab, just go grab Chris Carter, Manny Ramirez, Yasiel yeah. Puig, put them on your yeah, roster. That would be a good one. And this is, and, and play for the tie. Yeah. Ichiro really would be a great one. Adrian Gonzalez would be a good one too. He could really adjust his swing when he wanted to. Uh, um, where are you on kind of the, the more, I don't know how you put it, more, the rule changes that MLB is messing with right now that have a more realistic chance of, of entering Major League Baseball um, in order to address kind of pace of play as well as the, uh, let's just call it the ball and play issue. I thought, did you see uh, Manfred's comment? I think it was yesterday 
that Adam Silver told him to stop complaining about pace of play because it's actually great for sports gamblers. I thought I that was that was I, a pretty. Uh, I did I that see was an it. Interesting moment that felt a little uh, perhaps out of touch to me. Um, at the say, I, you say out of touch, but like you know, sports are a money making sure thing. Um, and they're going to make money off of gambling. Is the concept there like a longer game means more things to gamble on or more times no, to place a more bet? T- it's, it's more time in between pitches to place a bet on the next thing. Oh, gotcha. time in the basketball game before the These next are for the people scored. who, these are for like, because I know you can do this. this is yeah, like, like bet, the, bet on uh, this, this guy is going to hit a single. Exactly. Or the right. next pitch will be a fastball or whatever. That is, that is what baseball gives you enough time to do. I meant more out of, it's funny that, that it's the commissioner of the NBA having to tell the commissioner of Major League Baseball what uh, what the advantages are to his sport. I do think one thing I think baseball should stop doing is complaining about pace of play. I think they should be fiddling around with it, but I would love it if occasionally we could get the commissioner of the sport to talk about the things that are good about it rather I, than the things that he hates about it. I think you could say the same for about who we end up getting uh, on the television for national baseball yeah. games. It feels like we end. I just feel like when I watch a a, a national baseball game, um, that I'm spending three hours listening to someone who played 20 years ago complain about the current state of the game. I, I agree. Think it's hor- I think it's they're always in there PR. saying it's unwatchable. Then stop watching it. Right. I think it's horrible PR for the game. You just have this guy spending three hours bitching about analytics, bitching about pace of play, bitching about this, and then bitching about shifts and bitching about you know, and, and making fun of things like exit velocity. And like, what are you accomplishing here? Is this really what you want? Right. Instead of having someone excited about it, you know, you think about the difference between, um, you know, a broadcast, I'll, you know, I'll name names with John Smoltz complaining about baseball for three hours. Or watching something like um, the Statcast broadcast on ESPN two when they when they do those for the national mm-hmm. game, um, you know which one's a better? You know, baseball is in uh, part of baseball's job is to promote the game, right? Yeah. You know, which one of these broadcasts is promoting the game better? Yeah, I just want to listen to Gary Keith and Ron basically on every broadcast. They're great, gasping yeah. at things and telling me why why this player made the mistake. I, I mean, they're terrific. Yeah, they're, they're, they're absolutely fantastic. I just want fantastic. those three all the time. Look at my foot, you know, whatever nonsense they've got going on in there. It's a good, <laughs> it's a good group. Um, um, you know, do you, what about like the, 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 you know, things like, I mean, obviously they're going to try to move the mound back in the Atlantic League. Um, they're messing around with uh, shifts in the minor leagues. Um, at, at times I think like, I understand if you, think there's an aesthetic problem with baseball today and I might agree with you but is is my argument is at times is like the game changes all the time and it's best to just let it change and adjust to itself organically um yeah. as opposed to kind of forcing a change because of the rule of unexpected consequences sure um yeah I think my biggest concern is that it seems to me like all the incentives currently are pointed toward the boring things for for both teams. It, right. It's better for both teams if home runs and strikeouts are. The pitcher is willing to sacrifice home runs in the pursuit of strikeouts, and the, the hitters are willing to sacrifice strikeouts in the pursuit of home runs. It seems like it's to no one's benefit to do the things that are exciting because they are the exciting things are the least efficient. And so I have some... I appreciate 
the the idea that it's going to be hard unless you change the incentives it's going to be hard to change the behavior because everybody's figured out what like the math is here and right. so i do think that's why i think that there is going to have to be some i i just i don't really see this scenario in which this sort of the pendulum swings back to athletic baseball without some kind of a change and i don't know what that maybe with, it's with some sort of like prodding from the outside yeah maybe it's the maybe it's getting rid of sticky stuff maybe it's changing roster sizes maybe it's maybe it's moving the mound or the bases or whatever uh maybe it's the balk or the the throwing over rule the and pickoff the rule yeah. Results. yeah maybe it's that maybe it's i mean my uh my former colleague at si jack dickey had a rule that was one of the worst suggestions i've ever heard but he was really committed to it and i grew to love it any pitch over 95 miles an hour is a ball uh <laughs> You know, there, there are, maybe we got to be creative here. Maybe it's got to be something, wow. right? That would certainly change behavior. But I do think they probably have to adjust the incentives at some point. And I think fooling around with them in the minor leagues is the way to do it. Because as you said, it's, you know, you you're not even they necessarily not. trying to win. Right. Yeah. You can see it in a real game environment. So you can get a sense of what the unintended consequences could, would be. And it doesn't actually matter if the teams win or lose. Moving the mound back, changing the dimensions of the field, I can understand why players are kind of up in arms because they're afraid they're going to get hurt or they're afraid that they're going to learn how to do a thing that then is not going to be relevant to what they're expected to do at the major league level. But that's also already true where they're using a different baseball at the lower levels and then they get called up and they have to figure out how to use this new thing. So Mm -hmm. that is, that's something that's going to happen. But I can, I can follow why changing the dimensions of the field is stressful for them, but I think this is probably the right thing to do is to fool around with it at the low levels and see what sticks. I don't really like the runner on second or next innings, but people, most people seem okay with it. And so that particular, I know we were only doing that because of the pandemic, but that gamble seems to have paid off for baseball. And oh, so, I, th- I think that one might stick. Yeah. And so there may be ways, there may be things like that, that they, they can experiment with and people will realize that they don't hate it as much as they thought and people will kind of get over it. Um, I think one thing, and we, we've talked about labor stuff a lot on the show. Um, one thing kind of uh, that's always in the background, you know, complicating matters is that some of this stuff, um, MLB is going to want to get union approval from, if you will. Sure. And we do have, um, you know, we're in the last year of, of a collective bargaining agreement right now. Um, yeah. and they, they had their first sit down a, a week ago, um, the the agreement expires i i believe it's right at the last out of the world series um everyone i've talked to on this show um and everything i've said has been kind of pessimistic about the whole situation um do you have any counter argument to that or are you also pessimistic uh i don't really the only slightly more optimistic thing i can offer than what you said is that i think it's actually december 1st that it expires so they have a couple of days after the world series they have a month to work this out but no i mean i just don't i don't the problem i think is that these both of these sides are just so intransigent and they're so the union got fleeced in the last agreement and so they are trying to claw back everything that they lost but they don't really have anything to offer so they just say no all the time and the league it can never just do the right thing for the sake of doing the right thing everything has to be a bargaining chip like this DH nonsense, everybody wanted it. Except, you know, a certain segment of fans and some pitchers who like to hit. But both sides wanted it. 
And they couldn't come to an agreement because the league couldn't just say, let's just do this. You know, they had to make it in exchange for expanded playoffs, which they know the union doesn't want. Or mm-hmm. that the union won't, the union is not going to trade for the DH. I right. don't understand why the commissioner of the sport can't say, this is a good thing for the sport and let's just do that. And we'll handle the, the CBA down the road. And I, I mean, I get that that's not exactly how negotiating works, but I think there's so much bad faith between these guys. There's so much, there's so much rancor and they just don't believe, neither side trusts the other. Every time anybody releases anything, both sides are, you know, think something gets leaked and you immediately have representatives from the league and from the union texting their favorite reporters, telling them why actually the other guys were wrong. It's just, it's all, it's so childish and it's so nearsighted in a way that I don't understand what, how none of these people can look at it and realize what damage they're doing to the game. I mean, they couldn't even agree on a season last year. It's right. insane and- to me. So, so what kind of where are you on the line? If, if, if a zero is, I absolutely believe there will be an agreement and, and no stoppage at all in baseball labor peace. And a hundred is, I am absolutely certain that spring training won't start on time because there is not an agreement. Kind of where are you? I don't know. I would like to think I'm an optimistic person. So maybe I'll say I'm like a 40, but it doesn't feel. <laughs> That's not very optimistic. Well, there's what evidence do we have to suggest that these that these people can work together? What's the last when's the last time they got together and did something and did like the adult thing? Can you name it? I can't think of it. No. So what? Yeah, obviously everybody's really incentivized not to have a work stoppage, but also they were incentivized to play a full season or not a full but to to put to get, to agree on a season rather than having one implemented last year. They were incentivized mm-hmm. To have the D- the universal DH this year, and these things don't happen. They were instead, you know, they spent so much time last year, in fact, arguing about the money that they didn't bother to get the health and safety protocols put together until the day before the season started. Right. And that's part of why guys got sick is that they didn't have the protocols were not tight enough. They had to tighten them throughout the season, and the reason that baseball was able to finish the season is that they tightened them, and the protocols got a lot better. But to start, they were inadequate, and you saw that. I mean, we almost lost the season twice with the Marlins and the Cardinals. And that right. that all results from a total inability to compromise. If they had been able to move past the money nonsense, then we wouldn't have had to... Then they could have gotten down to the stuff that mattered, like safety. And they couldn't, because they were still fighting about millions of dollars. And I don't always... know. Do you, where are you on the scale? Um, I think it's... I would say zero. I would think it's zero percent. We have an agreement by the end of this current CBA. Okay. And I would say it's pretty 50 50 for a work stoppage. And like the second the CBA expires, the way this was explained to me by someone who would know um, is the second the CBA expires. And this is all for like paperwork, legal reasons. It's not, it's not necessarily mm-hmm. an act of aggression, but the second it happens, the players are technically locked out. Right. Um, and so uh, I, I think chances are 90% that happens. So, te- right, um, so we will technically have a work stoppage. We'll technically have a work stoppage. And I'm probably but like, it might fi- not affect I'm, the right, I'm 50 50 that, you know, spring training starts with lock gates. Wait, so I was more optimistic. I had, I was 40% that it wasn't going to. I'm confused about our scale. I was Maybe 60% I think you might be a 60. Be now, you're a six, now you're a 60. Yeah. Okay. 60% so you, yeah. we were going to make it, we were going to have a normal spring training, and 40% we weren't. And it, but it, it, that's it, still not that optimistic. The thing that, that always kind of strikes me and it still kind of rings in my head all the, all the time is that 
Um, and, and I'm not saying this is right or wrong. Um, I'm just saying it's true. If you look at the history of, of, of work stoppages in baseball, um, when a lawyer's in charge of the union, we tend to have a good path towards labor peace. Uh, and when our next player is oh. in charge of the union, that's not the case. Okay. Um, and so that worries me to say, I mean, at the same time, I'm gen, I'm genu- generally on the player side in this, in this mm-hmm. fight. Um, you know, and I, I think it's going to get, and I think it's going to get ugly. And I think, and I've said this before and, and it's, it's kind of hard to explain at times, but I think a lot of it has to do with how teams calculate revenue at this point mm. in the sense that teams are generating revenue for, from all sorts of things that aren't necessarily on the baseball spreadsheet. Right. But that they only can generate revenue from because they are baseball. Because they are baseball teams. Right. And so I think that's a lot where some of the complications are going to come from this yeah, year. Yeah. That's a good point. Like the Cubs are going to have all that whole right. development the, around Wrigley Field that is not baseball revenue, but they only get to do that because they're the Cubs. Right, and they only get to bitch about their debt because they bought all this land. Sure, yes. Um, and, and that's been a real thing over the last decade, and the Cubs are not the only one. No, um, no, that was just the most immediate Yeah, there's plenty of teams that are, that are absolute. Of, that are de- yeah. real estate developers who own baseball teams. Right, and tons of teams have bought huge, huge swaths of land around their ballparks. And that's part of the problem that we saw last year as well when they couldn't agree about the season. They were arguing that, they couldn't basically couldn't afford to make payroll if they had to pay a full. And now I don't even remember the term we use all the time. Pro, they wanted to pay them prorated, right? Uh, below prorated salaries because they were saying that they couldn't afford to make payroll. And the union was saying, well, the reason that you're cash poor is that you took on all this debt buying land, and it's not really our problem that right. you don't have any money right now. Which is totally right. Right. Um, okay, we'll take a break. You'll listen to some music from Mint Mile. We'll come back. We'll talk to Nick Groh from The Athletic about the very bizarre world of the Colorado Rockies. I'll come back, do your email. We'll catch up with Stephanie. We'll have a moment of culture. And then we'll be out. Stick around. We live by the ocean. We're concrete boots. Sarcophagus feet Crono roots The way we used to be Could be our modern track Tobacco, coffee, winter green And sunshine at our backs Inhibition
Back to the podcast. You're listening to the music of Mint Mile. It's special guest time. Our special guest has been covering the Rockies for the Athletics since 2018. He's joining us to talk about what was the biggest off the field story of the week with General Manager Jeff Breidich resigning and joining us from his luxurious accommodations in Denver, Colorado. It's Nick Groke. Nick, how are you? I, I assume all of our guests and co hosts are. They deserve nothing more. Or less, I guess. You don't deserve more either. Uh, Nick, let's talk about um, the resignation. Obviously, it was a uh, a tumultuous time uh, lately with the Rockies. Were you surprised by the resignation of General Manager Jeff Breidich and or were you surprised by the timing of the resignation? Uh, both, uh, really, uh, because... As we've learned over time with the Rockies, uh, a general manager almost has a lifetime mm-hmm. appointment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they've only had three ever. Uh, Bob Gebhardt was the first, um, and then Dan O'Dowd, and and then Jeff Breidich. Uh, Dan O'Dowd, the one who's more relevant to to uh, the current situation, um, you know, he wasn't fired either. He left. Uh, just because he kind of got, he just sort of got fed up with it. Uh, that's happened with managers too. Their last two managers have left just because they got fed up with the Rockies, uh, um, including Walt Weiss before before Bud Black. So I, you know, it just seemed like Jeff Breidich wasn't going to be fed up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so mm-hmm. so it, it was a surprise that he resigned at all. Um, but then on top of it, like you mentioned, the timing was really strange. Uh, you know, like why not a month ago? Why not a month from now? Uh, if, if it had happened three months ago, they might still have Nolan Arnato to be, to be honest. Um, possibly, uh, if it happened at the end of the season, they might have a better chance of figuring out how to handle Trevor story. Possibly. Uh, it's just, it's very odd all around. Who I can't, you know, I didn't go back and actually look this up, but I can't even remember the last time a general manager in any sport left his team in the first few weeks of a season. It's really odd. Um, you know, I'm, I, I, I wouldn't say that it's never happened. The NHL is really weird generally, but uh, I, can't, I can't remember any time, especially in baseball, that that's happened. Um, you know, you put so much preparation into a season, and then all of a sudden you're just going to, like, you're just going to, bag it and and you know peace out like it's really it, it was really odd um and yeah i i was i was really surprised and you know with the situation it, it felt like you know even amongst all the criticism that that the front office had received over the past let's just stick to the last six months or so that the front office their attitude toward this was almost defiant in a way um is there any indication for what flipped here yeah, yeah, well, a couple of things, I think. Uh, now, they, ha- they have not talked about this at all, uh, which is par, which is, which is how they've, they've operated for quite a while. 
Um, but this is, I think this is why it, it's different now. Um, you know, when they've done things in the past that, that didn't work out for them, bit, sort of big ticket items that didn't work out for them, like say, you know, you know, the Troy Tula whiskey trade, for instance, um, that, and it's, it didn't, it's not necessarily that it didn't work out for them, but it, it drew a lot of attention to them and fans and fans were eh, kind of not exactly pleased about that. Uh, when they let go, when they, when they let DJ LeMayhew walk, uh, and fans were not real pleased about that in the past, when those things have happened, they, the Rockies response is to just, to just go silent and then just wait for it to be swept under the rug. And then eventually they can just kind of count on fans having a short memory and eventually just sort of coming back. Uh, it's, it's worked out for them. It's not, it's not good policy, but it's, it's kind of worked out in their favor to be, to be honest in the, in the past. Um, but <laughs> this time, especially with the Nolan Arnauto trade, it was so bad that I, I think they were noticing that it, it was not going to go away, that morale is so low that they had to do something. Um, and I, th- I think, you know, their, their reaction to that trade was they were, <laughs> they were surprised, not just by the, you know, not just by the fact that it wasn't going to go away, but they were surprised that people reacted negatively to it. They really didn't think it was a bad trade, um, mm. which is, which is, which is outrageous to me, um, you know, because the, <laughs> the response to that trade universally was, was scornful. Um, you know, it's one of, I mean, in my opinion, and I'm not trying to be hyperbolic here, but like it was one of the worst trades in baseball's history. Um, you know, it's, it's up there anyway. Uh, and it's, it's not Babe Ruth, but it, it's, it's not a very good trade. And so I, I think for, for the first time, maybe in a long time, there, the bubble just kind of popped a little bit they, that they're, you know, that the, the world kind of crept onto their little Island and, and revealed how the rest of how the rest of baseball really thinks about the Rockies. And they kind of bristled at that and, and sort of had to do something. But, um, you know, there's not to spin too much on this here, but they, they, there's also some weird sort of internal dynamics happening. And, and I think that in a more traditional way, it was a kind of, I don't know if it was a power play, but there, there were some internal things happening where, you know, they, they didn't know exactly where to put blame. So the owner just, just decided that he was going to be right and, and make a decision on his own. So, so I mean, go ahead, that, Stephanie. Well, I was going to say that in some ways that makes it even weirder to me. The Rock, I mean, the Rockies have been saying that they mutually parted ways, referring to his resignation. Was it fully a resignation? Was this all Breidich's uh, decision? And if not, then why would you... Why would you not have an interim GM ready to go rather than a guy who's never been involved in baseball ops? Yeah, I mean, great question, <laughs> great question. And again, and, and like why? And again, and you know, and also, you know, not to nitpick too much, but they also like didn't have, you know, the the owner didn't have a statement ready. Yeah, I asked um, you if to be on the email list for a press conference, and they were like, there won't be one. I'm sorry, what? Yeah, no, no. What? Yeah, no, no, no. Uh, yeah, no, that's, and that's kind of how they generally operate anyway. But then, um, but like at least, a, at least a canned statement that somebody can write for him. Right. But that wasn't ready for, you know, until later that night. Um, you know, 
you it's it's a funny sports thing like did the gm resign or was he resigned um in this mm-hmm. in this case i think uh i really i really do believe that it was that it was mutual um you know i don't know though I, but not necessarily in reaction to the nolan arnauto trade i think it the changes that came the changes that started to come were the, the owner, his name is Dick Monford. He hired, he, he didn't hire, he promoted a president. Um, his name is Greg Fiesel. He was in charge. He's basically the number two at the Rockies. But his job is, is to be in charge of the business operations of the club. Um, he's a football player. Um, he was a football player. He played, he had a, you know, he played very briefly in the NFL. Um, but he has, he has no experience with baseball. Um, his job has always been to, to run the business right. of the Rockies. Uh, he was he was made president of the, the first move in this in this series of dominoes was that that this guy Greg Fiesel was made president of baseball operations. Um, he is also still the president of of or he is also still in charge of business operations. Um, and if you read his bio in the Rockies media guide, by the way, he, the, it just lists the stuff he's in charge of. It's everything from like hot dog vendors to uh, like tickets. And it, it's like this enormous list of stuff that he's in charge of, uh, which is kind of funny. So he's like the Jerry uh, now he's also in charge of the, of the Rockies. <laughs> right. Um, you know, you're not the first person who's made that analogy. I think it's kind it's kind of, it's kind of, I think you're onto something a little bit, but, um, but yeah, now he's in charge of baseball. And I, and I think, uh, Jeff Breidich has not said this so much. He, he does not like to speak to the media. Uh, but I, I suspect, anyway, that he, you know, if, if that's how it was going to be, then he would accept, he would, he, you know, the, he would accept uh, being resigned. So, I, you know, and in this case, I think it really was mutual. Um, but again, not, not necessarily... There, it wasn't that there wasn't some push in that direction, though. So, uh, you know, the Rockies, I, I, I kind of liked your, your version of the this little island that they're on, and they've always been seen as a team kind of on their little island, and their front office has been, um, like you said, only three GMs, kind of monolithic. It's like the same group of people. It's this kind of continuous group of people. Um, do you think that this is indication that, I don't like arrow one of Rockies baseball that almost starts with the expansion year has come to an end. Do you think that we are in line for a, a, a complete house cleaning or is it going to be more of the same? I, I think it's going to be more of the same um, because the person who's now in charge of baseball um, is, has been there for 26 years. Um, that's why, I mean, that's the only reason <laughs> that's the only reason he has a job is just because he's there. Um, because, you know, if you look at his resume, he has nothing to, he's never had anything to do with baseball. So why is he now in charge of, of their roster? It's because Dick Monfort knows him. He probably has the office right next to Dick Monfort's and he was just like, Mm. he was just like available. Um, there are plenty of people who would be a wise choice to be a president. Um, you know, I know Jim Bowden suggested Theo Epstein. That's not, that was not going to happen. Um. I don't know why Theo Epstein would want to have anything to do with this mess. But they, you know, it was possible that they could have, like, for instance, tri- reached out to Clint Hurdle. Um, I think he might have, you know, because he's familiar with how they operate, that might have been a, a wise move. Um, but no, they didn't do anything sort of toward baseball. 
Um, they just sort of double down on the person that, that the owner, Dick Monfort, knows uh, and have him as president. So, no, I don't, it, there's no indication that it's going to be any, any different. Um, it's wild. It's just so wild. Um, you know, I, I always have to, when, when I talk to other writers and they ask about the Rockies or, I, you know, I talk to other people, um, I have to, I always find myself reminding people that you, you can't approach the Rockies like they're a normal baseball team. <laughs> um, if they're, if they're, a, I mean, if they, if they were a normal baseball team, I would say, oh, well, yeah, Michael Hill would make a great general man- a manager. He has a history with the Rockies. Um, he had some success with the Marlins. He's available. He probably wants to be a GM again. I mean, that would be a, so. that would be a really wise choice, to be honest, um, for their current situation. But like, I, I can't say that that's, that that's what's going to happen because they don't do things like that normally. When they, you know, Jeff Breidich, they didn't have a hiring process. There were no candidates the last time they had a GM opening. They announced Dan O'Dowd's resignation and Jeff Breidich's hiring in the same press release. Like it was just, it all happened in the same few, in the same day. Um, So, (laughs) you know, I, I, it's, I, I just, the only constant, and people have said this, it's not even me saying this, but the only constant here is the owner, and he's the same. So I, I don't imagine it's going to be any different. So, uh, so I mean, basically, uh, you know, they said they will be, you know, going through a, a GM hiring process after the season. Uh, if, you know, if I forced you to throw 20 bucks down, you'd bet on an internal candidate? Because I, I talked to someone who, um, I would just call him someone who's, who's, who's you know, probably, I, I, going to get GM interviews and maybe be a future GM and just kind of brought up with him. And he talked about how, you know, from the outside, this could be a very desirable gig. It's a great place to live. Um, he called the media reasonable. So congratulations on that. Um, you know, and if you can operate the way you want and, 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 you know, build a team the right way, you can, you know, there, there's something there and, 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 you know, there's a, you know, they, they do have some success attendance wise, have some money to spend that it would be a desirable gig from the outside. And, and it sounds like you just don't see them looking at outside candidates and t- kind of con- continuing this constant, just pure internal churn. Well, it's possible. And I, I suspect that that's kind of why they foregrounded so immediately the idea that they're going to only have an interim candidate and then revisit it. Um, so I, I, it, it seems like they might actually consider somebody from the outside, but you know, just again, um, and it's and again, it's not me saying this. It's a lot of other people saying this. That the you know the the Rockies just are kind of like in their own bubble. They're just on an island. Yeah. Um, and part of that, weird. It's weird to say, but um, you know, for it's weird because the owner uh, Dick Monfort, he he's he's in charge of the labor committee for for Major League Baseball. So he know he certainly knows other owners. Like he's out there a little bit. But I get the impression sometimes that he just doesn't know a lot of people in the game. He doesn't know a lot of baseball people. So sometimes I wonder, just on a very functional level, like if he wanted to hire a GM, like would he even know how to get a hold of somebody? Like, you know, like <laughs> if you want to hire Michael Hill, you have you need his phone number. You know what I mean? Like you have uh, – it, it's weird to say. It just seems like somebody would be able to do this. But like sometimes I yeah, wonder I if, mean- MLB would be happy to help him in that regard, I'm sure. But um, at the same time, 
you know, let's, I do want to get into the ownership situation just like, and remember, you know, decades of, of kind of Mets floundering and people always being mad at this GM or that GM or this front office. And, you know, my point always was the real constant here is actually the Wilpons. It's the owner. Um, and we focus a lot on front offices for obvious reasons, but sometimes, sometimes the constant and the problem is really the owner. I mean, what is he like? Um, well, he, he, people who work for the Rockies mostly really, really like Dick Montfort. Um, even for instance, the people who, even the people who were, even the analytics department, people who were made to be clubbies, that they, they, oh they didn't like, they didn't like that. They didn't like that situation, but they, but nobody really had anything bad to say about, about Dick. He just, he's, he's a nice person. Um, but he's just this kind of like, he's sort of lost with baseball. Um, you know, there's a difference between like, you know, ha- having a, a good place to work and having a successful place to work. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you don't, I, I don't, you don't need to be a jerk to be successful. I don't, I don't think that, I mean, that would be stupid, but um, you know, the, the, the impression of him, I think a, a for a lot of people is that he's a little, he's a little, and he says this all the time. He's a little too fan. He's a little bit too much of a fan. Um, I always, I, this was a, a very revealing moment on when they traded Troy to Lewinsky, they had, they, they actually had a, tr- a press conference for, for that trade. Um, and, and Jeff Breidich, this was very early in Jeff Breidich's tenure, but um, it was sort of, it was at Coors Field. It was in, it was in sort of like a, like a, 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 like the luxury restaurant area where that's kind of near, kind of near the visitors clubhouse. And so Jeff Breidich is at the podium taking questions and, and it's in a room. Well, right around the corner from this room, Dick Montfort was sort of just standing against the wall. Um, while Dick, while, while Jeff Breidich is talking like just brutally, like straightforward, like almost robotic about, you know, you know, we traded too low because we saved, you know, $50 million and whatever it was, just laying it out very factually and very, like, very, just like, just like very stern um, and without any emotion. Meanwhile, Dick Montfort is around the corner with tears in his eyes. Um, He was very, he was like very upset that, that he, you know, (laughs) that he was, that they were losing to Lewitsky, like, because he was such a fan of Tulo's. Um, that, that feeling was not mutual. Tulo was very upset by the whole thing. But again, like you can't, you, you have to do it one way or the other. You can't, you, I don't know how you, how you, you know, you can't be friends with players and like, be just like icing them off to, to, to Toronto. Like you, there's, you know, there are two different things happening. Um, but it, I think, you know, Bottom line is he just is he's not real good with baseball. I mean, can I mean is that I mean can we just simplify it mm-hmm. that sure in that way? Um, you know you you, as you talked about them you know being an island being this thing over there. I, I as someone who worked in a front office for eight years and whose job at times was to interact with other teams, that's how the industry sees them as well as kind of this weird thing over there. Um, you talked about how you explained to your friends in the media that dealing with the Rockies is different. How does how is dealing with this team? different than dealing with other teams um simply as as a beat writer uh well well so yeah i mean there there is there is uh nothing that comes from the rockies 
I, 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 I get uncomfortable talking about this because it, sometimes it sounds like I, I'm complaining. I'm really not. Um, you know, if somebody doesn't want to be the, a source of information, like that's fine. I'll go somewhere else. Yeah, sure. uh, yeah, um, it, uh, but it, it's it's not about my, it's really not about my ego. I really have to say that. I really, I very honestly, it's not about my ego, but they do not, they do not make themselves open at all. Um, in a very, in a very unusual way. It, it is actually a very unusual way. Um, like you said, like they don't, you know, there was no press conference for the, they got rid of their general manager and there was no press conference. Um, this, I, fans notice this, like they, they don't, they just, there's this, and, and it's starting to catch up to them. Um, if you're not explaining what you're doing with your baseball team, it really distances fans. Like how, how if you're a fan, what, what, why, why would you root for this team right now? Do you, is there any kind of plan? Like I, I can't say this. I'm, I'm, I am on, you know, I, I get paid. I get like, I'm following this team on an hour to hour basis. And I can't tell you what they want to do this season. I honestly can't, I don't know what they want to do with Trevor Story. Um, I don't know if they are if they think that they're in a rebuild. I like I I mean I can see that they that they <laughs> either want it doesn't matter if they want to they are in one now. Um, but because they have not expressed this, it really distances fans. How how can you be a fan of a team and you don't even know what they're trying to do? Like do do they really are they do they want to win baseball games? Do they want to compete for a World Series? Like, if you're a fan, you can't honestly say that you know what the Rockies want. Um, and so, no, they're not, they're not very open at all. Just on a, on a functional level, uh, they, don't want to, they don't want to be out there in the spotlight because I think they're very paranoid for, for what might happen. Um, and they should be because they traded Nolan Arenado and it was stupid. Um, you know, like the, if they're, if it's, if it's them fe- feeling self-conscious, like they have a reason to be. Um, but again, it's just, it, it's, you know, if they're on an Island in the, in the grand scheme of baseball, they're also kind of on an Island, even among their own fans. It's very, it's just very strange. That Montford thing is almost, uh, it's like kind of ironically heartbreaking that he, he loves baseball too much to be any good at it. You know, that the only way to be the only way to, for him to build a job, build a team that would be good is probably for him to care a little bit less or to love it less. Uh, and in order for him to love it as much as he does, if he's going to keep loving as much as he does, he may, he may make it impossible for his team to win. Do you think that this can, can the Rockies win both in general and also under the current ownership? Well, yeah, I mean, he, he would need to he would need to remove himself and they but he they really need to, they really need some kind of different perspective somewhere um i mean we saw like they they had a kind of different perspective with bud with bud black when they hired bud black um you know he's an unusual manager he's a, he was a pitcher there aren't a lot of pitchers who become managers and it really helped he he very much like put them in the direction of building a good starting rotation they have the best starting rotation in their history like that worked like you found somebody who didn't have a connection to the team he came out he came in with a different perspective and 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 changed things in a good way like those things can work um but you know like he it really it really would it really would need he really would need 
Dick Monfort would really need to remove himself, I think, from the equation at least a little bit. The owner's always going to be involved. Is, is, um, is there a so, sense I mean, for how not, in, is there a bad. sense for how involved he is? Like the, you know, the owners kind of fall into three categories. There's the owners that that really can dictate things and, and force you to sign players or force you to make a move. There's owners who want to stay in the loop and want to be appraised of what's going on, um, but generally let the front office make these decisions and do their things. There's owners that are completely hands off. Um, is there a sense for kind of where he fits on that spectrum? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'll give you two examples. Uh, he's not he's not up there writing out the lineup or anything. Like he's not it's not that. Um, but I can give you two examples. One, he was he was responsible for the Arenado trade. He was the architect of that trade. Um, he worked it out. It was it was almost essentially him and Bill DeWitt who made that trade. Um, at some point, he handed it off to Jeff Reidich and said, "Well, then figure out the rest of the players." But um, mm-hmm. and and like. You know, because there were so so many weird contractual things with Arenado, uh, with his opt outs and, and and whatnot. Like they like, of course, the owner's going to be involved, but not not on like, not not to the. It probably shouldn't have been to the to, to the degree that it was. Um, separately, then also, uh, you know, basically since. Basically, since the signing, since they extended Arenado, um, there has been a move kind of for them to to very much distance themselves from accountability. Um, they have done. They do. They really do know. They do. There's. There's. They have no press conferences. Um, Breidich was not talking at all. Um, Monfort was not talking at all. But like for the course over the course of really like two years. Um, that was a Dick Monfort decision. Like he would, you know, he told Jeff Reynolds, you're not to speak to people. Um, uh, you know, he told, he, you know, he told the, he told like the people who were involved in like communications, like we're not doing these things. And, um, and do they, I mean, do you try to call them? Do they, does he take your call and just say nothing? Does he just ignore your call? Like how did this work? Yeah, no, he just ignores it. But it, what's hilarious <laughs> okay. is if you, if you, he, but doesn't you know, he email fans? His email yeah, is out okay. there. Yeah, he, fans will email him, um, and he will email them back. He's re- he's really good at it. Um, and I, you know, I had I've had half a mind to just like send him an email, but I and but you know I have to, I, you know I can't just I'm I'm not I have to be forward right, about right. it. I can't. Right, you have I to have identify. To so I can't I can't just say, right, exactly. And he, and he dear would Dick, not big fan, just hoping to hear back from you. Um, yeah, and I have emailed him and 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 said who I was, and it and it went nowhere. But um, you know, so you know the the these are the these are the ways that he is involved, and and like yeah, in a, in a very and this is common in sports. It really it's just like a trickle down effect. It's it's really like you said earlier. It's just how you know you it, the the owner very much sets the tone for a team, and and everybody everybody kind of falls into how that person chooses to operate the team. And, and right now that's how, that's how it is. Um, you know, during the, the end of his time, uh, it didn't seem like Nolan Arenado was a very happy person playing in Colorado. Um, you know, Trevor story is, is obviously, I hate to say this story, but a big story cause he's an impending free agent. Um, you would think that, that actually, you know, John Gray would be a very interesting trade target for some teams this summer. Um, does this trickle all the way down to the players in the fact that they, you know, they're human beings, they have brains, they see what's going on. Um, you know, does Trevor Story just want to get the hell out of there? 
Um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, he should. But there's the, it, what's what's wild though is that they haven't even offered him an extension. So I, wow. there's no there's no indication that the Rockies want him to that the, the Rockies want to sign him. Um, there's no reason why Trevor Story is on this team right now. It's it's completely crazy to me. Like why I don't there's there's they're going nowhere. Um, other teams want him. You can start your rebuild or whatever you want to call it. Um, but there there's no reason why he's on the team. It's hilarious. Um, but you know, the, the players, because, you know, especially now they have a lot of sort of, um, I don't, I don't mean to, uh, fringy might be a little harsh, but like they have a lot of younger players, not necessarily top prospects, but their, their roster right now is a lot of like younger players trying to make, trying to make a, make a career. Yeah. The, the, the Garrett Hampsons and I Dom Nunez's and Sam Hilliard's of the world. Right. Exactly. And, and so I think, you know, they're. I, I doubt that they really they really appreciate that the stuff above them is so um, is so you know there's so much change happening and it seems it just seems kind of dysfunctional. That's probably not very helpful to them. But more you know players are like that. They just they want to know if they're gonna they're all on year to year contracts. They just want to know they're gonna have a job next year. Like that's their first that's their first probably priority. And that that doesn't make them selfish in any way. That's just how baseball works. But um, I don't know if it's necessarily trickled into the clubhouse. Um, but the uh, people really want to know, people want to know what's going to happen. They want to know who, who it is, who's going to be standing opposite them at an arbitration hearing, arguing why they suck or whatever. They want to know who that person is. Um, you know, there are a lot of, you know, it's not, you, you cannot absolutely separate the front office from the clubhouse, but at the moment they seem to be. I don't, I don't think it's any reason why they're losing games for Speaking of uh, other teams wanting Trevor Story, do you have a sense of who teams are calling right now? Like, if you wanted to make a deal with the Colorado Rockies, who are you supposed to talk to? Um, right. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I can say this, I guess. I mean, I've heard that, um, you know, like Jeff Reidich wasn't answering phone <laughs> okay. calls. So um, not much has changed so there. Th- so there was like one – yeah, so there was, there was like, for instance, one team that, that has reached out to the Rockies, and they, but they didn't – they, you know, they've, they just sort of had to, uh, they had to deal with whatever assistant GM they were, they were friendly with. Um, and, and I mean, I guess that's how it's going to be now. Anyway, there is no GM, but, uh, no, like, yeah, they, you know, it's, they're a difficult team to, to deal with because they're not very much out there. Um, and, but again, like, because, because they are, they, they don't, you know, there's they're not you know because they they have not expressed what they want to do as a team um i mean i do i don't know that i i don't know that they want to trade trevor story i mean if you're another if you're another team i mean what indication is it that that trevor story is even available um i mean i he but should I, be, I mean again, i was like, going to say if you wanted to ask right do, I mean, do you see any scenario whatsoever in which Trevor Story's on this team August first? Yes, I do because you know wow. because they they were they were so burned by by the Arenado trade. I think that they at this point they would you know they would rather not have to eat another like nasty press conference and they and just take the qualifying offer draft pick that they can get from him just so they don't have to deal with it. Like I that I. I mean, I would put that. I mean, I at, at this point, I think I think that's probably like a fifty-fifty chance <laughs> that that actually happens in the, in that way. Wow. Uh, so what are the 
What's the what are the what's the vibe in Denver right now? I think the Rockies are seen as a success story. They do well, you know, kind of I guess fan engagement attendance wise. Um, I mean, has all of this has the last, you know, in terms of both performance in the standings and and some of the uh, deservedly bad PR for some moves that they've made. Um, you know, is the is the is the shine off the new toy here a little bit? Oh yeah, 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 for sure. The you know, and it but it was a slow burn um, because you know the, uh, there was a there really was a lot of hope. They went to the you know they went to the playoffs twice in a row. They'd never done that before. They pushed the Dodgers to a game one sixty three. Um, they've never won their division, and they were a game away from it. Um, there there was there was like legitimately some hope, and a lot of it. I mean, a lot of it really did have to do with with Nolan Arenado. It was so much fun to just watch him on a night to night basis. Um, but then, and and when the so when the Rockies, you know, they they really sneaked in to sign Arenado to his extension. Um, everybody was paying attention to Manny Machado and Bryce Harper that year, and and they sneaked in and they signed Nolan Arenado. Everybody's like, wow, like the, the Rockies are actually like, they really want. They're really. They really want this. <laughs> For like, this is a this is crazy. They really they're really gonna act like they're like they want to be World Series team. Um, and then, you know, but within like six months, seven months, all of a sudden, they're in a cold war with with their best player because their general manager marginalized him and and just like this, and you know, in in no, in Nolan's words, disrespected him so much that they now all of a sudden it just completely crumbled. Um, it was almost worse that they, it was almost worse that they got to the playoffs and then immediately wrecked it. Um, it would almost be better to have to have not made the playoffs and just like continued on with this like we're building, we're building. There's you know we're we're gaining hope. Like I I don't mean to sound cynical about it, but it was almost worse that they that fans had tasted this this idea that that they were really going to, they were really going to try. And then it fell apart so quickly, um, almost made it worse. Uh, so again, no, like morale is very low. Um, even, you know, I, a lot of, a lot of the ire from fans was directed at Jeff Reidich, understandably and, and fairly in my opinion. Um, so this, this week, I think kind of made them feel like maybe there's the possibility that, that the house is going to be clean, uh, cleaned. But um, the but they're but they're leery though too. If I had to, if I had to take the pulse of the fandom in in Denver, like they're also a little leery that that it's it's going to work out. What do you think is Bradich's next job? Um, like is he a special you know, assistant somewhere, or does he does he work in baseball again? Yeah, I mean, I'm really curious. <laughs> I mean, he he didn't exactly have like a great track record. Um, the Ian Desmond signing was very much his idea, and he. Even afterward, even two or three years into that, into Desmond's time in Colorado, he—I mean, Breidich really did think it was a good deal. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not—that doesn't—that doesn't—that's not a good resume item. Um, but in, uh, you know, I don't know the the last Rockies the <laughs> the last Rockies GM was you know it ended up being sort of a two headed GM situation with Dan O'Dowd and Bill Guyvet. Um, neither right. neither of them are GMs. Um, Bill Guyvet's not even working in baseball at the moment. At last I checked, um, Dan O'Dowd's really good on TV. I think he's a re- he's a really good analyst. He's yeah. good. Um, yeah, I don't yeah. I don't know if he I don't know if he's if he's turned down GM jobs or not. I really don't know. But um, but 
you know, coming out of Colorado. Um, you're back to the connections issue. You're back to the like this weird like they are seen as this thing on the island, and, and like other GMs who land elsewhere, like have connections and know people and have really good relationships. And it seems it feels at least a little different for for this situation. Yeah, and and Bright Edge is different. Um, also, just on an interpersonal level, people don't like to be around him. He's a jerk. He's kind of a jerk. Um, like I'm, I'm really, so, I'm like I really, I, I'm sorry to be so frank about it, but. Um, a lot of people just get rubbed the wrong way by him. Um, I, 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 if I had to be like a pop psychologist, I think he sometimes felt a little bit over his head and compensated it for by mm. just seeming, by seeming arrogant. Like it, you know, like maybe play acting arrogance as a way to like project, project some sort of intelligent power. Works in politics. <laughs> it works. You're right. It does work sometimes. But um, but you know, like eventually. Again, like all, you know, all of these things in baseball are just interpersonal. Like, you know, is somebody going to be excited about calling him to, you know, to, to, you know, for a job? Will, will somebody in another, at another team in another front office be excited about, you know, when his, when his number flashes on their, on their cell phones, are they going to be excited about picking up that call? Like, I, you know, if the way he sort of operated for seven years was to like kind of just be a bristly sort of, you know, just kind of be bristly and arrogant. And I don't know if that's a great way to reach out to people. Uh, Nick, I want to thank you for us providing us insight on what's going on with the Rockies. You got anything to plug? No, uh, no. <laughs> I mean, thank you. Thank you for offering. Uh, just like it just, I, uh, you know, it's just so, it's just, you know, Stephanie asked this earlier, just the, the, I'm like continually fascinated by this stupid baseball team. Like I, I cannot figure them out in any way whatsoever. Like I, I know it's, I, I hope I don't sound like too big a bummer. I think it's really, it's just like really interesting and fascinating. I do like, you know, Stephanie asked, you know, can this team even ever win? I, I don't know. We don't know because they, I don't think we've ever had a baseline for them being like, all right, here's right. a roster. This is what a good right? Rockies Where, team looks like. Yeah. And like, and, so we don't know, like, I don't think we truly know, like, what disadvantage they're at playing at Coors Field and, like, what all of their, all of their inherent, like, um, hurdles. I don't know if they're, if they're passable just because we've never seen, like, a proper roster for this team. You know, and we, even when they went to the World Series, I don't, that wasn't a World Series roster. Um, so I, I just, like, I'm really, I just, I really, it's just continually fascinating this team who plays in this weird ballpark and like what, you know, what really would it be? Um, I would just, I don't know if I'm plugging anything, it would just be, I don't, I don't even know. Like just, I I hope it comes across that like this team is so weirdly, weirdly intriguing. It it would be read Nick's coverage because it's beat writing slash anthropology. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Exactly. Exactly. Like the game, the game tonight, like, you know, if you're not going to pay attention to that, like I understand, but um, like the the team is just like so strange and uh, intriguing. If you want to read Nick's coverage of the strange and intriguing Colorado Rockies, you can find that over at The Athletic. If you want to follow him on Twitter, he is at Nick Groke, all one word, N-I-C-K-G-R-O-K-E. And Nick, thanks so much for coming on. Dude, thank you.
Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks to Nick for coming on. He was great. Uh, you have been listening to Mint Mile. Uh, Mint Mile is helmed by Tim Midyet. If uh, you are an indie rock fan, you might know him from his almost two decades with Silkworm, uh, which was a phenomenal band. Um, spent a bunch of time with Bottomless Pit. He currently plays bass with Sunno. And, and, and most importantly, obviously, is, is he played a lot of the instruments on uh, the theme song to the podcast that was put together at Steve Albini's studio. Uh, so thanks to Tim for, for providing us. If you want to know more about Mint Mile, you can check out their uh, Bandcamp page, which is mintmile.bandcamp.com. Uh, they released a bunch of EPs for a while, and then this is off of their first kind of full length called Ambertron. Uh, it is a phenomenal record. Uh, Chicago Reader called it a stunner. Uh, Reckless Records uh, wrote that fan of Tim's impressive music career will be floored by this musical statement and is recommended. Uh, I also highly recommend it. Tim's a good friend of mine and a phenomenal musician. And this is Mint Mile. Check him out. Mintmile.bandcamp.com. It's time for email, Stephanie. Nice. Uh, before we get into emails, send us more emails. Uh, emails are great. Send us emails. Uh, we read them all. We answer some of them. Chinmusic at Fangraphs.com. Just ask us anything. We'll talk about it. Um, or compliments. Or compliments. Those are, you know rare these days um and, and also if, if you're someone who i just have to like chill for a second here bear with me uh please. if you're someone who uh to who listens to the podcast on apple devices uh please rate and review us um it helps out it's hard to explain why but just rate and review us do it anyway so uh email time our first email comes from gabe and gabe says i have a couple of minor league questions First, given the minor league reorganization, are minor league affiliates going to be more quote-unquote stable? Are the affiliate contracts now basically all set for the next 10 years? And if one wanted to support minor league teams, and especially players, what's the best way to do that? Buy merchandise? Donate more? Donate to something like More Than Baseball or some other organization? Um, first off, yes, the, 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 uh, the affiliation dance is over. Um, you know, and every year you'd be sitting there going, oh, Who's Clinton now? What are they again now? You know, <laughs> right. and then, you know, somewhere between 10 and 25 teams would change. And it's, 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 it's always a, it's always a weird one. Um, I'll have a story for you in a second that I just was reminded of, but yeah, they're all locked in for the next decade, uh, which is unlike anything. Most affiliate contracts were two, three or four years. And so um, it worked kind of like the house of representatives where every year, I know it's every two years in the house, but like every year somebody was up and there'd be some sort of shuffle. Um, my first year with the Astros, the Astros lost Lexington, which was their low A team in the South Atlantic League. And so the affiliate shuffle started, right? And the Astros had to find a low A team and they were getting sucked up all over the place. And it was down to Quad Cities, Beloit and Clinton. And we talked about Clinton last week. Clinton is a park that I don't think has been updated since the Great Depression. And it is next to a pet food factory. So you play the entire game smelling with the smell of burning pet food wafting through the air. That's, it, a, that's a good minor league situation. Not a great place to play. Beloit is charming, but also basically a high school field uh, with metal bleachers and no connected clubhouse. And then Quad Cities, which is a pretty nice affiliate in the Midwest mm -hmm. League. It's in it's in um, it's in Davenport. Um, solid facilities. We're in the Mississippi. It's kind of charming. Good time. 
Um, and so obviously it was like a pretty solid answer in Quad City or two nightmare situations with Clinton and Beloit. And the Houston Astros flew in the Quad Cities people and wined and dined them. To make their pitch. Like it, you would think that, that, like, that they were trying to sign Otani. Like it was, an, it was a full court press. Um, individual presentation. I like it. Individual presentation, nice dinners, you know, seats and games, come sit in the suites. Yeah. You know, the whole, like just mm-hmm. full court. Uh, and it worked. And, and then the Astros ended up being quad cities in the Midwest league until the current situation. Quad cities are uh, in the new world, a Royals affiliate. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it worked and it's, it's like teams really, it, it got weird uh, every affiliate year where that you were going to, you were going to lose at some point. And, um, you know, when the Astros at AAA lost Oklahoma City to the Dodgers, there was a scramble for a AAA team. And the Astros ended up in Fresno and mm-hmm. not the ideal situation. Facility is great in Fresno. It's a great stadium. It's just it was just a distance thing. Right. Um, it's hard to call somebody up quickly. It's really hard. It happens all the time. You know, players start showing up at the park for a night game, like after lunch, basically. Right. Mm-hmm. And. You know, a guy comes in and, you know, whatever. Hey, I stubbed my toe last night. I think, it's, oh, crap, you can't play. we got to call someone up. You know, if, if your AAA team is, uh, you know, to stick with the Astros, you know, where it is now, which is basically in the suburbs, or you think about Atlanta and Gwinnett, sure. like, you can make a phone call and players there in an hour and a half, right? Right. Fresno, you know, there's no Not direct. Not quite the same situation. No, no direct flights, first of all. Oh, wow. Um, you know, so they, they got to go from Fresno to SFO um, to Houston. And so you're not getting that play till the next day. Um, yeah, that's pretty rough. And so I, if you look at this new affiliate situation, geography did play a role in, in how they're doing a lot of it. And, and that was just to make these kind of things more convenient. But yeah, you're stuck for 10 years. Um, if you want to support minor league teams, I think buying merch is good because that, that's not shared revenue, I don't think. It's, you know, teams make their own money off of merch and things like that. Yeah, I think that's right. If you want to support players, it's more complicated. You know, there are some organizations that are kind of... Um, fighting for the right thing, if you will, for minor league players who are dramatically underpaid. Um, but I think the best thing to do is to, is to try to put pressure on on Major League Baseball and Major League Baseball teams to do the right thing themselves uh, in, in terms of, of how minor league players are treated, um, which is like chattel right now. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a pretty bad scene. I mean, uh, a couple of guys wore cleats the other night and they were donating the money to, I think it was more than baseball. It could have been advocates for minor leaguers. There are a few mm-hmm. organizations like that. Um and the league Twitter account tweeted, like, basically, look how cool this is. And a lot of people were like, right, or you could pay them. <laughs> and and you know, the thing is, it's, it's also, it was interesting to see, you know, obviously the, you know, we talked about the labor situation earlier. And it was mentioned in this first, you know, in, in Jeff Passon's report on this, this very initial conversation between MLB and the union that, you know, the union has a lot of, a lot of, um, interest in competitive issues in, in terms of incentivizing teams to put the best team on the field and, and, you know, getting rid of some of the, you know, service time manipulation and things like that taking precedence. Sure. But it also sounded like the players were um, willing to kind of trickle down the money, if you will. Okay. Um, and, I, and, and it felt like that was more as far as making sure like zero to three guys, um, mm-hmm. players, you know, rookies up to pre-arbitration were getting paid more. But I wonder if they have, because again, those guys aren't in the union, which is part of the reason you, Major League Baseball can get away with how they treat them. Uh, I wonder if any of that can, can trickle down below those players to the guys in the minors. Right. That's always been a huge challenge is that the union 
represents it has members and then it also represents another group of players that are not its members. So it doesn't exactly represent them, but it's easy. It's very easy. Everybody can kind of screw over minor leaguers in exchange for something that they want. And so mm-hmm. that's how you, cause, cause it doesn't affect the mem- like the members of the union are no longer minor leaguers and the league doesn't really care. So it's, it's easy for those guys to get the short end of the stick in almost every scenario. And, it's hard. There have been attempts to unionize the miners and they're ongoing, but it's very challenging because those guys are very afraid that their teams will cut them or will not uh, look fondly upon them if they try to unionize. And, you know, even though that's technically illegal, you can certainly understand why they are concerned about that. It's such a large group of people with so many competing interests. It's just really hard to, to unionize that group. And so you end up in a situation where they have really nobody on their side. And so a lot of these guys are making $1,100 a month for four or five months right. and that's it. And it's a, it's, it's, it's a pretty rough existence. And yeah, that's, and it's, speaking of that kind of thing, it's just also the same thing goes for the draft. Like the, the union tends to be willing to give away things in the draft because sure. those guys aren't in the union yet. So those are the right. kind of places that they're willing to, to move yet because it's not affecting the union members. Right. So it's a, yeah, it's a hard, and people think like these are professional athletes. They're probably making millions of dollars and some of them definitely are, but I think that perhaps not all fans realize that at the lower end, a lot of these guys are like also driving for Uber on the side because they right. only get paid. They don't get paid during spring training, but they're also not allowed to get a second job. I mean, I was talking to, to Sean Kazmar, who's everybody's favorite story. Yeah. Uh, amazing. Kazmar. And he was unable last year to get a job. He, he wasn't chosen. So there's no minor league season, but he was always hoping that he was going to be, chosen to join the taxi squad right. so he could never really get a real job because he you know, he wanted to be available in case the team called and i think that's right. true for a lot of guys that it, you know you can't like what kind of real job can you have that's going to end up paying you a lot if you have to be available at any moment in the off season to go work out and during the regular season to to possibly be called up during spring training you know you don't have time i, I talked to a guy who who used to work at a barbecue restaurant um until spring training started and then he couldn't take shifts. It's a hard, it's a definitely a hard existence for those guys. They're really playing for playing for the dream. Yeah. I mean, when you look at a minor league, you know, go to a minor league game, look at a roster, it's really only, you know, four or five guys who have already for lack of a term gotten paid. Right. Um, the rest of the, you know, there's tons of guys in there who got literally a $1,000 bonus. Yeah. Um, and you know, de- yeah, I, uh, I wrote a story about Adrian Beltre a couple of years ago and he was telling me that when he, and this is Adrian Beltre who, whom the team thought so highly of the Dodgers that they signed him illegally underage. Right. They they promoted him past rookie ball, and he thought he thought he was going to be at rookie ball. So everybody's telling him about host families. He shows up. I think he was at low A or or maybe at at just regular A, and he they don't have host families in that at that level, whatever level he showed up at. And so he was expected to pay for an apartment. He couldn't afford really anything. So he ended up the closest thing he could find was like an hour walk from the ballpark so they would get back at any you know shared it with six guys whatever a two bedroom and they would get back from a road trip at 2 a.m and unload the bus and then he with his baseball bag on his back would walk an hour home wow and this is a guy again this is like the, one of the organization's top prospects right being forced to do this yeah this is not some guy that they don't care about and then so it, that's how he was treated and and i think I, i've read some stuff about how like major league baseball is 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 um, asking teams not to do the host family this year because of the pandemic in the minors. You know, makes some sense, but 
then you Where have to help these, gonna... right, then they have to help these guys with housing. Right. In towns that don't necessarily have just no. a ton of afford- affordable housing ready to and go. Get, and, right. And, and for can... half a year. And the, and the, the other thing I thought about, like, and, and what if you're assigned to the Brooklyn Cyclones? Right. Sure. Great Those aren't cheap should. apartments. No, I can speak from experience. Exactly. That's not, a, that's not a place I would like to be on $1,100 a month. Um, our next email comes from John. And John says, I want to know whether you have any Zach Granke stories from your time with the Astros. I know you only overlap with him for a couple of seasons, but love hearing about Granke and hoping you can add to his legend. I can't, but I do have kind of, I do have my, this is one of my great missed opportunity stories. Um, so uh, obviously the Astros acquired Granke at the, at the trade deadline. Um, and, you know, I, as you know, I do the show from DeKalb, Illinois. I live in DeKalb, Illinois. Um, wasn't really involved in game day operations. And, you know, when I went to Houston, I would go on the field for BP um, and and therefore knew the position players far more than the pitchers. Didn't really interact with the pitchers at all. Uh, and then uh, 2020, uh, I didn't go to any big league games in 2020 because of the pandemic. I was here at home. Um, but the great missed opportunity was, and I don't know if a lot of people know this, um, Zach Greinke is super, super duper into the draft. Yes. And... Um, and, and with other teams has sat in on their draft meetings, um, and likes going to see draft players. And I think uh, it mattered to him where he signed too. He would, yeah. He, he, he would look up sort of their organizational strength before he, before he agreed to spend time somewhere. And so, um, you know, I went to spring training. I went to the first two weeks of spring training in 2020. So, um, it's maybe only 10 days. So like February 14th through the 24th or so. Um, and then I had a trip to the Dominican, which I went on and I, I wrote about, um, being in the Dominican when the shit really hit the fan. Um, and when I came home from that, I was, that's it. I was home. Um, but was there no pandemic? I was, I was then going to go back to Florida for spring training. And when I am in Florida for spring training or when I was in Florida for spring training, rather, um, I would spend my day uh, at in West Palm and then I would spend either my night or it, times often even leave early to go see draft guys obviously Florida quite the hotbed plenty plenty to see right sure um and at some point I was gonna ask that cranky if you want to come see a player with me oh. so I knew he was totally into it yeah um, he would have said yes and he would have said yes and he, I honestly he might have been there without you yeah absolutely he might have um, invited you to come see somebody with him right right and, and he's you know he's from Florida he knows he knows the Florida yeah. high school baseball scene and um and that was just it was just you know thinking about missed opportunities because of the pandemic that's pretty high on my list right there oh sorry that would that would have been pretty fun I uh, uh, that I would have enjoyed reading about that did you ever deal with Zach? Not much. My only real experience with him is I was working on a story about pitchers hitting. This was a couple of years ago um, mm. before it became clear that that was probably coming to an end. And so I asked a bunch of guys to, uh, you know, it was sort of like a lighthearted thing. Like, tell me about your, you know, your bat flip. Do you practice your bat flip? Whatever. Yeah. And pitchers suck at to... hitting, but pitchers love hitting. Well, so I was talking, I went to Diamondbacks camp and I asked Zach, I asked the PR guys if, you know, if we could set up time and they were like, basically, no, he won't set up one-on-ones, but he's doing his availability either before or after his start. Right. Like, I forget what his, his, he's got a routine. It's like two days before and then it's after or something is when he'll talk. And so they said, you know, after the scrum, if you want, you can ask him if he'll talk to you. And I did. And I told him it was about hitting and he was totally into it. We talked for like probably 20 minutes and he was great. He was talking about how everything that he, most of 
most of the good pitching ideas he had came from hitting because he could see what it felt like to to look at certain things and he, he loved to he loved to hit against the best pitchers because he loved to try to steal what he could from them he was terrific uh and for, well first two things one was I, at the end i said by the way we're shooting portraits for this would you be willing to be photographed and he said oh absolutely not um which i kind of enjoy like it would have been a portrait of him holding the bat absolutely not mm-hmm. but then afterward i walked away and all of the beat writers were gathered and they were like what were you talking to him about because he was smiling he was laughing he was yeah. it's the longest conversation we've ever seen him have with anyone and i said oh it was about hitting and they were all like oh of course that's the thing he most wants to discuss yes he and, loves and- hitting and he is a career 225 hitter with nine home runs. Well, he um, said recently that his career goal is he didn't really care what he did on the mound, but he wanted 10 home runs and, and 10 stolen bases. And he, yes, and he has, he has nine stolen bases. And, yeah. um, you know, he was one of the top players in, in the 2002 draft and went sixth overall to, to Kansas City. Um, when he didn't pitch at the, the high school in Florida, he went to, he played third base. And if he never stepped on the mound, he probably would have been a second or third round pick as a third baseman. And sometimes I think he probably wishes he did that. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting to also see, you know, in his career, in, in you know, I'm looking at it right now, in, in 519 at-bats, um, mm-hmm. he has 113 strikeouts, which is a better contact rate than a whole, whole <laughs> hell of a lot of big leaguers. Yeah, he's good. He's a lot of fun. Um, our last email comes from Mitchell. Mitchell, I, I, Stephanie, I, I think you are better equipped to ask to answer this question than I am. And I, I'm kind of interested okay. in your thoughts here. But Mitchell's questions, it's a quick one. Which is, do you think what happened with the Astros, we all know what happened with the Astros, uh, will affect any of the players' Hall of Fame chances? And, um, you know, some of these players are, you know, not at the end of their career, if you will. Um, But you could see there's certainly a a path to, you know, Jose Altuve ending up with the kind of numbers that deserve consideration. Um, And then, so that's one type of player. And then the second type of player is a guy like Carlos Beltran, who was there right. at the end of his career and, and has accumulated big numbers, but now is associated with it. Like, like, how do you see those kind of things? Well, I could be totally wrong here. I have, I have a theory, but I also have no real basis for it. So, okay. I so I, I want to hear, I want to hear, I want to, I'm now going to ask you for a two part question. I, I definitely okay. want to hear your theory and I, but I also want to hear your personal thoughts. Okay. Well, my theory is that it's not going to affect anybody's hall of fame chances. And here is why I think that. One is that we, I think we forget things very quickly. And so I think people are still going to be mad at the Astros, but I don't, I think it's not going to be a lot of players whose cases are so borderline. You're already talking about like at most probably three guys who, for whom this would even be a question. Most of them are not Hall of Fame caliber. So it's what? It's Altuve, Correa, maybe it's Bregman yeah, and Bregman could get Beltran there. seem mm-hmm. like the only ones. Mm-hmm. And the chances that, those guys, Beltran's a different case because he his career is done. But with those three, the chances that they're borderline candidates, I guess it's possible. But it's also it seems just as possible to me that they blow past the, the, the that they're such clear candidates that people are not terribly concerned about their about this. The other thing though is that if you look at the way George Springer was treated, like do you think he would have gotten less? You know, he was a guy who I think people had real concerns about whether he benefited from the that like more than others they wondered if George Springer was a good hitter because of cheating mm-hmm. and it doesn't seem like the Blue Jays thought that and he hasn't really been getting a lot of grief on the road I know he's not as much the face of the scandal but he 
I, I just don't think we've seen, I mean, Marwin Gonzalez has, has done okay for himself. We, we haven't really seen these guys get punished financially. And so I think that probably by the time, I mean, we're looking at like maybe a decade before we have to start answering these questions about anyone other than Beltron. Right. Uh, and so I think that by then, I just don't, I don't think it's going to be as raw as it is now. We can't really agree on what to do with guys who took steroids. I think by then, the uh, the voter base will be younger and the younger voters tend to be more permissive of misbehavior. I think it's unlikely that it's going to be a huge, I think it's going to be a talking point, but I think in reality, it will probably not end up affecting them. And then also the thing to remember is that of those three guys, Altuve, everyone says, didn't even use it. Right. So who knows how much that's going to matter, but you can make a compelling case that he doesn't even really fall. We're really only talking about Correa and Bregman. Mm-hmm. And I think the chances that they, that either of them is, is exactly a borderline hall of fame candidate are low enough. I, I just, I think probably in the end we move on. Um, they'll do, they're, they're going to do stuff between now and then that will be so impressive that I think people will not, I don't know. I, I, as I said, I could be totally wrong. I could be totally underestimating the, the hatred, but I, you know, and I think if Yankees and Dodgers fans were voting for the Hall of Fame, that would be different. But I don't know that the writers are going to have the same hangups in in a decade. What's what's your take? I mean, I we are still living in a world where not even borderline candidates, but obvious candidates. If you just look at their their you know baseball reference page, like Bonds and Clemens are not in. Sure, but um, they were also mean to reporters, and I don't think that that is. Korea is a joy to deal with. You know, I don't. I don't know if those guys have the same, uh, the same reputation among the people who choose them. Right. Right. Um. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know either. I. I don't know. I don't know how long this lasts. I don't know what the. I don't know how many. How much. How. How. I don't know what the legs on this story is. Still. They also are going to have to play basically out of their minds for the next, what, like six years to be. Right. Considered for that. So if that happens, are we still going to believe that the scandal is the reason they were good? Or is right. it going to be a question of morality? And if it's a question of morality, then I don't know if that... I don't know that we're in the position to say that these... Like, yes, this... Obviously, what they were doing was way worse than... Or was worse than what other people were doing. But everybody was stealing out of the video room. It's not, you know... It, it's... I, I don't know if, if we want to... if if it's wise to draw that that straight a line. Do you believe that's true? I think that it's very interesting that the Astros news drops and everybody around the sport says this is uh, incon- unconscionable. And then the Red Sox are accused of stealing signs out of the video room and relaying them, but not in, not, but relaying them only when there's a runner on second base. And nobody, rather, the Astros' big thing was that they were able to do it when there wasn't a runner on second. Right. Uh, and the Red Sox are accused of doing basically like two steps shy of that, and nobody says anything. And I don't think it's necessarily that the Red Sox are a beloved organization. And the uh, there's some element that people, you know, were rubbed the wrong way by the Astros. But I think it was more that everybody knows that their organization was doing something close to what the Red Sox were doing, but they could be sure they weren't doing what the Astros were doing. Mm. So it was easy for them to sort of disavow that behavior. So I don't, I just, I think it, it's, it's notable to me too, that these guys, like they weren't that sorry 
And I think the reason they weren't that sorry is that they were very surprised that this was a big thing because they thought everybody else was doing something similar. Mm. Um, I don't like, I don't think that they, these are people without consciences. I think they were genuinely surprised that they were so far ahead of everybody else. And so I just, I don't think that the game was so, uh, is so pure outside of the Astros behavior. I think it's, I think it's all wrong and it shouldn't have been happening, but yeah, for sure. I, I don't know. I think in 10 years, by the time we're debating this behavior, I think we might have learned more about everybody else's behavior during this era. Yeah. I don't know about that. I wonder about that. Um, like I know... they, they, teams haven't stopped going to multiple signs with nobody on base, you know, exactly. there's still right. concern out there that people have, have methods that haven't been uncovered. So, yeah. And you, you got to change your times. You got to change those signs when Tatis is at the plate. Yeah, I just I think that we probably I think that the story has not is not entirely over the story of this era, and so it makes it hard to say definitively that. Uh, yeah, I think there was that we're going to judge them. Yeah, there was an interesting story to be written before all this shit broke, which was just the what was already an incredible paranoia among teams. Yes, for sure. Um, that it reminds just, me a little of teams playing the Patriots. It was just incredible, and and. Um, you know, it's it's when the Houston Astros played Cleveland in the playoffs, there was an incredible paranoia amongst the pitching staff that there was someone in the trees beyond right field. Oh, yeah. I've heard just utter nonsense yeah, about everyone. And, and they and all believe it. Absolutely. 100% fucking convinced to a man that there was some shit going on in the trees. Yeah. And um, again, this is not... I, I, I feel like I t- tend to live in pretty black and white uh, zones anyway. And I'm pretty often to my disadvantage, pretty impermissible of sort of nuanced poor behavior. So I don't, this was very clearly wrong. What I'm saying is that in 10 years, I don't know if it will bother us as much as it does right now. Uh, I think it will still be just as wrong in 10 years as it was when it happened, but I don't know that it's going to be, that it's going to seem like such an outlier. Um, that's it for the emails. If you have an email, again, send it to us. We want to see them. Chinmusic at Fangraphs.com. It's time to catch up with Stephanie Epstein. Stephanie, you are a feature writer or at, at, at Sports Illustrated. So you write about you write about sports uh, as yes. a general term. Is baseball your first choice? It is. I, uh, I grew up in Boston, where if you don't know what's going on with the Red Sox, they basically won't let you live there. So... <laughs> I uh, I grew up definitely caring most about baseball. I actually don't know that I watched the Super Bowl until college. My my family doesn't care about sports at all. I was always the outlier there. Um, and so when I started at Sports Illustrated, I started out as a fact checker. And they they told us when we started, you know, please let us know what you're most familiar with and comfortable with, and we'll try to funnel stories your way those stories your way because it is much more efficient for everybody you know if i'm starting on a sport i've never heard of right. it's going to be a lot harder for me to know where to go to check the facts uh so i said that i would love to spend as much time on baseball as possible which meant i got to check the great tom verducci which is one of the better jobs i think you can have in this business and uh then it, it just sort of grew from there as they let me write more i i was already i had some sense of how the game worked from being around it through tom and and now now here i am when you spend time with Tom Verducci, are you ever just frozen by how spectacular his hair is? Oh, all the time. <laughs> I saw. I, I've never seen anything like it. It's it, he, phenomenal. It's it's perfect. We flew together once. I mean, we all flew 
during this 2016 World Series from, I think it was from Chicago to Cleveland. Every media member was on the same like 6 a.m. flight after right. we all left the ballpark together at 3 a.m. or something. And every person there basically is in sweatpants. Uh, all the women have like their hair up in ponytails and all the men have clearly not showered. And Tom is in like performance fleece and slacks and a perfect with his hair. Perfect. I'll Come never on. know how he does it. So, I, so you write a lot of features, um, which is something I don't think I could ever do. And um, because I think you're a writer and I don't, really ever think of myself as a writer but you know when when i just kind of want to talk about your your process and kind of your your own self-editing like how many feature ideas do you come up with and and how many kind of you know just fizzle out before you really get going you realize i'm not going to get enough people to talk to me or there's not enough of a story here for a feature length piece like kind of what like what's your hit rate between i'm starting to look into this and and something that actually turns into a published feature that's a good question i think it's i don't know what the actual number is i don't know how there are the hit rate for initial idea to what I actually write is probably fairly low. It gets higher as I start reporting. Cause I think for the most part, if I get to the point where I'm making calls and talking to people, there's probably a reasonable chance that there's a story there. Um, but often they will also, I will learn that it's that the general topic is right, but I had the totally wrong angle. Uh, uh -huh. and so that's one of the beauties of reporting is that, the point of it is that people can tell you whether, you know, it's, it's all about a hypothesis and then people help redirect you. Um, it's, I, I find that people in this game know so much that if you're just sort of willing to listen, you can, you can very, they, they will catch you before you have a very bad idea. Generally, if you are open about what you're working on mm -hmm. and you talk to enough people, you can pretty quickly figure out whether, it's gonna work or not because yeah because they know They're, like, have, i've had people say like that's not a story oh, okay good thank you have you ever had one kind of just go to shit later in the process where you get going you're talking to people and you're like i don't really think there's something here yeah i think that happens to me that happens to me like the all-star game a lot i think i'll go in with like four ideas because you have all the best play it, it's it's a unique experience Spring training is good because everybody's around, but the All-Star game, all of the best players in the game are there, and right. they have media day. So I try to go in with, like, four ideas to media day, and I forever am having to discard them as I walk around and find out that they're... I mean, it, sometimes it's so stupid, like the... What was this a couple of years ago? Um, for the All-Star game at Nats Park, half... All of the American League All-Stars were wearing their socks up or something at one point, or, like... A ton of guys had their socks, had their, their pants up high. And I was like, I bet there's, I bet they made a bet. I bet there's something going on here. You yeah, know, yeah, Jero yeah. has his famous all-star bet. I bet there's or speech. I bet there's something going on here. And I asked a bunch of guys and they were like, no, they're just like, they asked us because the socks are cool. They asked us to just pull the pants up. <laughs> right. Like, that's oh. it. Okay. Well, you know, there you go. I thought it was going to be, I thought I was really onto something and alas, I was not, um, Fortunately, I think for the larger people-based things, most people do have something to say about themselves. So you might just be wrong about what you thought uh, a person's situation was, but generally they do have something to say. Do you have any, like, do you have that one story that you regret that, that, that 
you know, it was, it was, it really was a good idea and it is, it really is a compelling story, but you know, either because of the sensitivity of the topic or because maybe just the confidentiality of the topic, which I had a problem with recently, um, you just weren't going to get enough information to turn something into it. Yeah. Yeah. I think there are a lot of those. Um, I think there are times when people will have, uh, well, a lot of it honestly is something as, as, um, not, you know, sometimes it's like a tragedy, but sometimes it's something as simple as I wrote about, uh, Jose Altuve's whether or not he had the yips this spring and I ended up being able to write it, but that's a very, I'm fascinated by the yips. So I wrote about Daniel Bard's yips, uh, a year ago. And that I think was a very different story to report because he had pretty clearly conquered them. And so he is in a place where he is able to look back and reflect on that journey, knowing that he feels secure in having succeeded. Jose Altuve, when I talked to him was, was, you know, willing to talk to me and was very interesting, but he had at that point had not yet played a game that counted since he'd been throwing the ball away all playoffs. And so you're not, it's just not going to be the same. He's not going to say, yes, I have, I had and have the yips. I'm unable to figure out what's going on here. I'm a disaster. They're they're just not going to say that when they're in the middle of something. Right. So I actually continue to think that that story is an interesting one. And I, I was glad that I was able to write it. I felt like I had insight, but I think that in, you know, four years or something, I would love to hear at that point what Jose Altuve thinks about whether or not he had the yips in 2020, because I bet it's a different, I bet he's, it's a very different thought process once you're out of it one way or another. Um, I've had a lot of people ask me like, you know, why do people talk to you and, and how do you get people to take your calls? And, 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 and my, often my responses and, and it might be a shitty one is like, have you tried calling them? Right. Because you'd be so yeah. in my in my experience, you'd be surprised how often people will will answer the phone or call you back. Yeah. Um, have I you found that to true. be the case as well? Definitely. And I also think I wrote uh, I wrote about Chris Davis a couple of years ago, and this is actually a an example that totally upends what I was just saying about not wanting to talk while you're going through it. But he was having at the time he had a chance to be having the worst season in the history of the sport. Right. And. So I fully expected him to say, you know, get out of my clubhouse. But when I asked him if he wanted to talk about it, he said, thank you. Like, yes. And thank you for letting me tell my side of it, which really caught me Mm. by surprise. He felt like I think a lot of these guys, because they are so public, but they don't have total control over what fans think of them. A lot of people who are famous like this feel misunderstood. And he believed that fans thought, and maybe they did, that fans thought he wasn't trying. Right. And so what he wanted to do, he didn't dispute that he was having a terrible season. His issue was with the idea that he didn't care about it. And so I think he was very willing to talk to me about, you know, like crying in his car because all he wanted was to play well and he couldn't figure out how to do it. And I think that that, as I said, I fully expected him to send me away and like, maybe even get upset with me for suggesting that he might want to talk about this thing. But in fact, he really, I think these guys often want someone, they want to explain what's going on in their heads. And sometimes we can give them the opportunity to do that. And I think you see that like just people like to explain what's happening with them. People like to talk about themselves. And so, you know, these are humans. Yeah. And I do, you know, I always hate the concept of, you know, the, it's maybe a vocal minority. It's certainly a vocal minority, but like, you know, the, oh, these are just spoiled millionaires who don't really care. They are millionaires and and therefore they're weird because all millionaires are, but like, 
they care. They really like oh, I, and, yeah. and my, my general is uh, these guys really do care and they really do want to win and really do want to play well, whether they're making, you know, 800 a month or making 30 million a year. They really do care. Well, one of the things that caught my attention after I wrote that Chris Davis story was uh, fans started tweeting at him like, hey, man, I just read the story. I'm sorry. I'll lay off you. I didn't realize like how this felt. And I think I think because they're on TV, they just look like sort of characters in a in a fictional drama of some kind and in some mm. ways that's fun like it's fun to it's you know it's more fun to hate the astros than it is to think about whether they enjoy being called cheaters because that's like first of all it's not really your problem as a fan and second it's it's fun they are sort of characters in the soap opera but mm-hmm. they also like chris davis's four-year-old daughter had to hear people right. telling him that he sucked and i think that that yeah, they make a lot of money, but they also have to go to work every day. They don't get – if you have a bad week at work, you can take the weekend maybe. These guys go to work every day. They have to miss weddings. They miss funerals. They miss birthday parties. And they are very well – most of them are very well compensated for it. I'm not saying I have a lot of pity for that no, scenario. I understand. But I do think that it's really hard to to do a job every day and stink at it. They don't They don't like to be bad. Um, so, so as a feature writer, like how, what's the, how much of, of, of this is kind of self-directed of you going to Sports Illustrated and saying, Hey, I really run about, write about X and how much of it is at, um, your bosses saying, Hey, Stephanie, this is going on. Can you find an angle and, and figure out a feature about it? Like, Hey, here comes the masters or Hey, here right. comes the Indy 500 or Hey, here comes the all-star game. Like, like what's, what's the balance there? I think the. I think it tends to work better when I, even if it's not initially my idea, but when I'm involved in the conceptualizing of it, if only because everybody's got an idea of what they think the story is going to be. And if I don't totally understand what that is, there's a good chance that I will disappoint. Um, Mm -hmm. So I tend to feel more comfortable with it when I've been pretty involved in coming up with it. I also think like if you employed Tom Verducci and you had an idea about a baseball story, you should call him and tell him to write it. So I just think I have a better chance of getting into the rotation if it's uh, if I'm coming up with stuff. So I, some of the like the events, you know, they send me to and then it, the job is write something every day. And that in some ways is much easier because the parameters are so tight. Uh, the the assignment of you can write anything you want. What's it going to be is actually is kind of heavy. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's, that's something I didn't I didn't realize when I started that in some ways it, it's a lot easier when you have guardrails. Um, but I think it's, 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 I mean, I don't know exactly what the number is, but it's probably more than 75% are things that I've been thinking about. And sometimes then, you know, often then I discuss it with an editor or with another writer and we try to um, sort of shape what the story is going to look like. But I think it tends to be better if I am involved from the beginning so that I can, so that I really, I'm really enthusiastic about it and I really understand what I'm going for. And, and what's your next big thing on, on, on in front of you? Uh, well, I can't tell you exactly, but uh, I'm well. I've got a couple of things actually. I'm working on uh, I'm working on some Olympic stuff, which is very exciting, non baseball related. And are you going? Uh, that's the plan at the moment. If they happen, uh, which will be, it will, will be really cool personally, and I hope it's it's going to be an exciting. I really like uh, covering the playoffs because I was never a beat writer. I went from fact checking to writing uh, more to writing longer stuff but less often for mm-hmm. si i never got this like those guys will will have you know 300 bylines a year yeah it's it's crazy 
I never did the just write every day and have a short memory. Like I've always been sort of a starting pitcher and I've never gotten to do the relief pitcher thing where you just move on. I always get to stew. So I love the playoffs because it gives me a chance to write every day and to practice and to do new things. And I feel like I'm learning. And so the Olympics is going to be really cool because it's three weeks of writing every day. Uh, so well, that's it. That's, so, that's, that's, but... so that's the assignment. Go to, go to the Olympics and find something to write about every day. Yeah. And I think, I mean, there's going to be some division of, of work there. You know, we'll send a few people and every day we'll say, okay, you're on gymnastics, you're on swimming, whatever. But yeah, basically show up and find a story. Okay. I've, I, I, have, I have lots of questions now. Okay. Um, so the Olympics... This is my first Olympics, so I might I've, not have yeah, the answer. You, you'll have one more than I had. Um, <laughs> so this, obviously, this is, you know, these are in Tokyo. Um, it is 2021 and not 2020, which is when they were supposed to happen. Then we had a global pandemic. Um, my first thing, are, are, are we sure they're happening? Uh, is this 100% a right now? Ticket, I'll say. But I'm thinking, are the Olympics themselves, is it 100%? No, I know. I, I don't. There, I, I mean, they say that they're happening, but I read a study the other day that only one percent of people in Japan have had their vaccine. Uh, I don't. I think there are a lot of Japanese citizens who are not eager to have a bunch of foreigners descend on their country amid a pandemic, which I can mm-hmm. very much understand. They're they're trying to mitigate that risk somewhat by saying that it's basically only the athletes and the media who can come. I mean, even family of the Olympians can't go. Right. So their hope is that they will keep, but they're not requiring athletes to be vaccinated. And uh, they're also trying to keep everybody on site. Like if I, if we, end, if they happen and I go, it will be, you have to, uh, you're basically bust from the hotel to the event site and back. Like there's no, you're not allowed to eat out at a restaurant. You're not allowed to go walk around the city. You, you might as well be covering the Olympics in Tulsa is what I've been saying to people, because it's just, you're just seeing the inside of the hotel room, the inside of the shuttle, and then the inside of the arena. But well, you, have, well, you have access to the athletes? That's not clear either. It might be Zoom. It might be an in-person mixed zone. They're still so, so, working on that. So let's, if, if it is Zoom, which is obviously just going off of what I know about baseball, right? Mm-hmm. My question is kind of the same thing I have to some of the beat people traveling, which is why go? Uh, I think that you can see a lot of things. I think... You can see a lot on TV, but the ca- you're limited to whatever the camera thinks is interesting. Yeah, and a lot yeah. of time, what the camera thinks is interesting is not what I think is interesting. For example, when back to Altuve, the part of what got me interested in that story is that I was at that series, and the the really the really terrible inning that he had, I just took my binoc- binoculars out and I just watched, watched him, him right. the whole rest of the inning. I never took my eyes off him. I stopped keeping score. And so I was able to write accurately that, you know, players were coming over to him and talking to him and he never said a word because I watched his mouth. It didn't move. And so that's not something I could have said if I had been watching the TV broadcast because they might have thought it was important for me to see, for example, the hitter. Right. Um, I watched, you know, I was like trying I, and I did this purposely. I spent most of the playoff games that I attended in person with my binoculars just staring at the dugout. So with the Rays, you know, I watched like Brett Phillips had been left off the roster Um and I watched him run around and he had appointed himself coach. He had a clipboard and it, yeah. it was just very funny to watch him in the dugout. So I ended up writing about that. And that's not something I would have seen if I hadn't gone. So my hope is that there will be some interactions that I can see at the Olympics that I wouldn't have been able to see on TV. But I don't I don't know. I mean, I guess we'll see what it looks like. That's just that's the only way I can think of to differentiate myself. So I'm hoping that I'm right about that. And so, I, you know, obviously, it's Sports Illustrated. And you're, they're going to be sounds like they're going to be going with a group of people. Um, mm-hmm. Have assignments been handed out yet? Like, do you have a like a, a 
do you have an Olympic sport? I really hope I get to do, you know, the walking, the uh, the 20 kilometer walk. I was on the crew team in college. So uh, I'm really hoping that I get to go to at least some of the rowing. I'm I'm guessing there's not going to be, I'm not going to be like elbowing people out of the way to get to cover (laughs) that event. So I'm hoping that I'll be able to, to do at least some of that. But in general, I think I'm just so, we haven't, we haven't really handed out our assignments yet. I think some of that will depend on who is competing for the U.S. Not all sports have completed their trials, so we don't necessarily know who's doing well. We don't have a full – we have sort of a preliminary schedule. We don't have a full schedule, and we just – I guess I, again, I don't really know exactly how it works, but I think that stuff gets assigned for us closer to the, uh, to the date. It'll be based on, like, what features people wrote going into it and who has the most comfort with various – sports um and i think some of it also will be like today whatever event is at a time that is convenient that is more convenient for this person the other person so we're doing that um tim Layden is now at nbc but he when he was with si he was just going to cover the downhill skiing and he was covering track because he knows he knows everything about those sports so that made sense we don't have right i don't think it's as clearly divided this time is there any, I don't want to say pressure, but is there any sort of like focus on, because you work for Sports Illustrated and the majority of your audience is American, to focus on U.S. athletes? You ever, like, you know, yeah, in a position I where think like, so. Hey, I, I understand this is a super interesting story about this dude from Finland, but can you find something about an American? I don't think that I will get that pushback from bosses, but I do think it's something I will be thinking about. Mm-hmm. Um, there is also going to be a level of, uh, like access that's probably easier to arrange through yeah. uh, the USOC and through like calling a high school coach is a lot easier if the kid went to high school in right. Houston than in Helsinki. So that um, I, I think it sort of logistically will end up being more often the case. And yes, Americans are more interested in Americans. And so we are, we try to, if the, if the Finnish guy is an incredible story, then we'll write that. But I think we also try to do some kind of crowd-pleasing stuff. Like, we're not going to not cover Simone Biles, even if there's a cool Finnish gymnast. Right. Okay. Um, it's time for a moment of culture, Stephanie. All right. In which we talk about something non-baseball in the entertainment world that interested us. Um, I'm going to go back to the very first episode of this podcast when David Roth was the co-host. Also great, in New York, great obviously. Episode. And David recommended to me a show I had never heard of called Lodge 49. Have you seen this show? I have not. I uh, I heard David recommend it, but I have not. I, I have a I, long list, unfortunately. I can't believe you listened to this show. Um, I did. It's I do. Foolish decisions. And um, so he recommended Lodge 49. And I did what I do with so many recommendations I get, both on the show and away from the show, where I put it in my on my queue, in my list, whatever, and then I never watch it. Sure. And then uh, about a week ago, I said, let's start this show. And we did. And it is wonderful. I'm, okay. I, 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 obviously, I'm pretty sure any recommendation from David Ross is probably going to be a good one. Um, and this was definitely case, yeah. one. And it is the tale of, uh, it's, it's a first time writer. I guess he's a novelist, is my understanding. This is like his first attempt at a TV script and it got picked up and, and produced. It's about a guy who, uh, for you know, in the most simplistic of terms, is kind of a, a younger, more energetic version of the dude from The Big Lebowski. Okay. Um, uh, and he has definitely a sad background, as does his sister, who uh, works at a Hooters-esque uh, kind of 
pervy restaurant called Shamrocks with two X's at the end. And um, it's about their uh, their lives. And he ends up kind of stumbling into joining uh, a lodge, you know, like a you know, like like a lodge, like the place that has a fish fry on a Friday. Right. Sure. Um, and and everything gets super weird from there. And I don't want to ruin anything, but it's 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 not what I expected. It's 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 touching. It's charming. It's funny. It definitely has a bit of a, a strangeness and an edge to it that I really enjoy. And I just kind of want to thank David. Like we're we're almost done with season one. I know there are two seasons, and and he was just dead on. I can't recommend this enough. And in an age where, like, I'll be honest with you, there's so much of um, shows that people get into, I just don't get into. Right. Um, they just don't work for me, and and I, I don't. I'm just not going to watch Game of Thrones, guys. I'm sorry. It's too late. Um, you know, and but to, to start this and actually like really be into it now, like. Um, I mean, we all are living the pandemic life and like you finish dinner. It's like, okay, now what are we going to do before we go to bed? Right. Um, it's just time to end our day. Certainly not like, go out into the world. Right. We've now reached the point where at some point we're going to go, we're going to watch a lodge or two. Um, right. and it's just nice to have that. I, I, so, you know, it's a repeat of a recommendation from David, but I, I, I I'm just reinforcing it and, and we are watching it and enjoying it greatly. What do you got? Well, I am ashamed to say that actually the, uh, the the recommendation of David's that I took from that episode is that I have recently started watching Love Island, and it's oh. maybe the worst show. I, this is not my moment of culture pick. It's not. I have a better Are one. you watching the but U.S. version or the no, Europe? I'm watching U.K. I didn't even know the yes! version. Yes! Okay. Yes! It's like the worst show I've ever seen, and I it's can't stop watching it. It's absolutely the worst thing in the world, and you can't stop watching it. No, it's incredible. And there are 34 episodes. There's, I scrolled like, I down. Think, I, it never. I, I, I think there's like four seasons. Hour. There's like four seasons. You're good through the summer. Yeah, I, like if there's a fourth wave or whatever, I have my entertainment queued up. Let's hope <laughs> there's not. But my actual moment of culture, and this actually, you could you you could describe it with almost all of the words that you used about Lodge Forty Nine in terms of it being sort of unexpected and touching and funny mm-hmm. and a little bit strange. Is How to with John Wilson? Have you seen this? It's absolutely phenomenal it's phenomenal possibly the best show it's it's sir i've never seen anything like it and it might be the best show i've ever seen and it's it's half an hour episodes and there are six of them you could do it in the evening they're on hbo max it's truly incredible it's hard to describe it without very hard it's hard to describe it in a way that does it any justice but it's a it's sort of a travelogue of new york city where this guy starts out as if he's going to teach you how to do something such as make small talk or build scaffolding or cover your furniture. But that's not really what ends up happening. He starts talking to people and I don't know how this actually played out, but the way the show seems to depict it is he follows, he just falls down every single rabbit hole he walks by and it, they are, they're funny. They're so weird. It's not a show that you can watch. Uh, while you play with your phone because not at it, all no it's a ton of visual jokes he's been he must have been filming he's been filming just street footage in new york for like a decade yeah if he leaves the house he leaves the house with a camera and just films yes. everything and, so um, and every, it's all footage that he's shot yeah and so every and no shots are wasted so there's like every second is another frame of a thing happening on the street so if you look down you're gonna miss a visual joke so you've got to You've got to commit to paying attention to it. But again, it's 30 minutes. You can probably handle that. Um, but it's it's truly wonderful. Uh, it, it, at, at one point, it goes into the pandemic a little bit in a way that I found mm-hmm. to be really touching and both heartbreaking. and kind of, Yeah, and try to caring for his, uh, his, his elderly. For a neighbor. Yeah, yeah, it's just, 
it's lovely. It's hilarious. It's phenomenal. That yeah, great. It's a fantastic recommendation. It. It's the best. Um, it's I love that so show. We kind of good. Yeah, we stumbled into it one night, and then and I think we watched. You know, I think it's just six episodes. We watched. Yeah, it, it is, over two days. And, but yeah. I heard there that he's been uh, that there's going to be a second season. They've been renewed, so that hope, is wonderful. I hope it's not too pandemic based. If yeah. You know I mean. So so there's like. We were flipping through shows. I think this show was also on HBO Max. It might not be. It was like New York COVID stories or something like that. It was like 600 other oh, no. filmmakers tell their story. And I was like, I don't want to see I this. Can't and I can't watch that, no. And, like, and I was reading about um, the, the the Spanish flu, 1918 pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. And yep. when, when that was finally over, um, culture moved on. Yeah, like, that's there, what there, I would like. There were no films about it. There were no books. Like, people just said, right. fuck that. We're not, right. we're not going to create. I never want to think about that year. I ahead. never want to think about it again. It's like, I don't want, we don't need, I don't need a rom-com with people pulling their masks down for the first kiss. Like, I just don't want, totally. I don't want to think, I don't want this. Right. Um, and so, yeah, no, I, but yeah, it's a, it's a great recommendation. I'm, I'm surprised I haven't thought about it myself. It's, yeah, How To With John Wilson. It's on HBO Max. Oh my goodness. It is truly exceptional. You've got to watch it. And you just i really i can't recommend it highly enough it's it's fantastic um i, I think we're done here okay I, How, how'd i do i unfortunately for the listeners i asked during one of our breaks i asked kevin you're gonna delete all the stupid stuff i said right and he said that no he's not going to so i, did, yeah, I apologize this, for whatever on here was yeah bad the, the, as, as a rule the show goes out unedited in terms of content well, my condolences to to your listeners, but part I did of, do my of, best. Right, part of it is an ethical rule, and part of it is editorial laziness. I like it. <laughs> so, uh, thanks for taking time out of your afternoon to do this. Thanks for having me. This was fun. And uh, do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, not really. I hope you will read Sports Illustrated. I mean, I hope you will read my stuff. But we also have a lot of other really good writers. That's why I read Sports Illustrated, and so I recommend that you you check them out too tom verucci i mean i don't really want to go listing people because i'll get in trouble but uh tom we got michael rosenberg we've got greg bishop we've got jenny brentis we've got we've got alex pruitt we've got everybody so i think you should uh i think you should take a look we have a a small paywall but first of all the first five i think a month are free and then after that i still think it's worth it so please and, please check us out you might have heard of us and if people want to read your tweets what do they do oh uh well so hopefully they will sign off from Twitter, but uh, if they insist, <laughs> it's at Steph Epstein. I don't tweet very often, but I'm trying. It's probably for that's probably a smart move. Um, so thanks for coming on, thanks and for uh, me. thanks to everyone really for it. listening. Uh, and we'll see you uh, more on time next week with a, a co-host to be determined. Maybe not in New York, uh, and a special guest who will be, uh, believe it or not, joining me to preview the upcoming sumo tournament in May. So thanks for listening, everyone. And a a host who is uh, one week closer to being fully vaccinated. Exactly. It's what matters. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. Thanks.